0: Hey, welcome to Socialism for All. This is an Office Hours stream being recorded live on Thursday, October 26. And with me in the chat are about three dozen chatters. The site, as usual, is twitch.tv socialisms 4 a And yeah, we're just going to chat about um, whatever's on people's minds for a few hours, as we tend to do. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's new on the channel and what's coming up. Honestly, this week, there's not a lot that's new. Uh, We posted the last stream that we did on Thursday, and I also, on Monday, posted a follow-up video. It was an S4A mailbag video responding to a comment. Um, It was like a 45-minute video about Palestine. The uh, massive, atrocious, and I mean that literally in the sense of it is actual atrocities and war crimes, assault by Israel on Gaza. And uh, there's so much to say about that. I mean, um, you know, I've I've posted a lot in the last few weeks on the community tab. At YouTube also started up a Substack and a Medium account um, where I'm, you know, I'm doing more of the uh, written posts now. So some of them are getting copied over to the Substack and the Medium. If you want to go follow there, it's Medium.com/at all. And then the Substack is the same, or you can also go to socialismforall.substack.com. Again, these are just setting up. There's like two, three posts uh, so far, not really much. But that will grow as, you know, the streams are good. I like interacting with the chat, and sometimes I'll do presentations. We at least, I think, are going to stick to a weekly office hours because that's not too hard to do. Um, And I think for a lot of the current event stuff around that, Um, which can be revisited in these office hour streams if people feel like bringing it up or if I have some additional thing I want to really um, accentuate and highlight, then that's fine. But I think that the community tab written stuff and, you know, unfortunately, Twitter and Blue Sky, even Mastodon, which has a higher character limit, I think Mastodon's around 750 or something, versus like 250. Um, It's just, you know, you can't really do... uh, a good written piece on a micro blog like that but you can in the youtube uh community notes they can be pretty long um and then also you know substack and medium are more like regular blogs so that's a feature we haven't really been doing previously but we're going to be doing more of the written stuff that way i don't have to jump on stream you know constantly where there's a lot more um you know, I got to worry about, like, is it a good time for me to stream, and and uh, can I do it uninterrupted, and responding to real-time questions and all that. Sometimes I just want to write out a thing and get it out. So here we are, three and a half years into doing Socialism for All, I'm still finding new ways to expand the channel. Um, so that said, uh, another recent expansion that we did is the Buy Me a Coffee account. You can see there at the top, buymeacoffee.com slash All, and that's in an addition to the uh patreon account so let's thank the patrons right now this is people uh both supporting on patreon.com slash socialism or buymeacoffee.com as well and uh this is also higher resolution than it's been in the past i don't know why it took me that long to do that but uh it's up there now uh names in blue have been supporting for three years names in green two years names in yellow for over one year and uh, a lot of long-term support. There's a good community around this channel. I recognize the people. You know, I chat with a lot of you either in in the comments or on Blue Sky or we message or something, and um, I appreciate all the contributions. Whether you're somebody that sends in stories and other kind of theoretical ideas to discuss, or whether you're just a financial supporter, it's key either way in uh, giving me more time to spend on this channel. You know getting that financial support coming in uh i don't have to go seek out you know money to pay my bills uh or i don't have to spend quite as much time spending uh you know uh, chasing down the money elsewhere if you just send it in then i can spend more time doing s4a so much thanks to the patrons and the uh what were we calling the uh coffee tears that, that's what it was okay that makes sense coffee um, We'll we'll see. We'll find a buy me a beam beamackers. That's a terrible name. Anyway, we'll figure out something like patron that works for the Buy me a supporters as well. But uh tip of the hat, thank you uh to everyone who is supporting and that keeps this non commercial viewer supported. We don't run ads. You know, YouTube's doing this big anti ad blocker blitz which is just making them a lot of enemies and probably is not actually improving their um you know, the actual situation, because people who were invested enough to set up an ad blocker are not going to be clicking on any ads, as somebody pointed out. I think that's an excellent point. Uh, But anyway, we don't run ads on this channel anyway. There's a couple of things, like we have some videos with uh, Malcolm X Audio, and some other channels have claimed copyright on that, and that lets them um, run ads on our stuff because they claim the, the copyright to it. That's out of 760 some videos, that's like maybe 5 or 10 of them. So, you know, we don't run ads on the channel. And so the YouTube ad block thing doesn't really even affect us at all. So that's thanks to the support from, again, the uh, patrons and uh, <laughs> b Macers. I might just keep saying that because it's so deliciously awful. Anyway, all right, let's go back to the main screen here. Um, so, yeah, that's some stuff off the top. And what is new on the channel? I think it is just the stream from last week and also the 45-minute uh, Palestine video. In the first half of that video, I was responding to a question about Palestine and the right of nations to self-determination, which is a subject that Lenin wrote a lot about. And basically, right of nations to self-determination is considered one of the bourgeois democratic rights that um you know it's important under capitalism to maximize those rights to the fullest extent possible it aids in the class struggle and so on and fighting for those rights can sharpen class consciousness and so on ultimately it will take a uh the ending of capitalism entirely a social revolution to um usher in even complete the revolution and and uh go on into a stage of higher uh economic rights and and other rights but um As far as the right of nations to self-determination, this would manifest uh, most clearly perhaps in the right of a nation to secede from another nation. And somebody was asking, you know, is Palestine um, a question of that? And it it isn't. It's a national liberation struggle. So rather than seceding from anything, uh, Palestine is trying to actually get established as a nation. So that territory was under the control of Turkey for quite a while prior to World War one after Turkey didn't do so well in World War I, the British took it over British Empire. And so basically it became a British colonial property. And uh, the League of Nations, which was the predecessor to the United Nations, made it into uh, mandatory Palestine. So that's the area designated Palestine by mandate. And so this was administrated as basically British colonial property but not its own country with the right to self-govern and and so on. So this is, you know, typical of a lot of anti-colonial national liberation struggles that happened throughout the 20th century and some still ongoing today, such as Palestine. And, um, of course the reason Palestine is probably still going on is because such a vicious enemy was set up in the form of Israel to, uh, you know, suppress that entire area as an extension of European and American interests. Um, You know there had been pretty bad persecution of jews in europe for hundreds of years and then the holocaust in particular mass murder um, systematic mass murder genocide um, conducted by nazi germany after that uh, there was already uh, when it was a british uh, colony they're going back to the um, 1917 actually the british had made statements like oh wouldn't this be nice to use as a homeland for the jews By the way, why couldn't the U.K. or the U.S. be a homeland for the Jews? Oh, because they didn't want them there because they're racist. So anyway, they were like, um, yeah, you can go down to this colonial property we have in the Middle East. And, um, you know, there's already people living there, but whatever. So uh, they did that. And, uh, you know, even during World War II, these were countries that were refusing um, Jewish refugees. So that's how much they actually care about the Jewish people. Um, but they gave them this property down there which could serve as an extension in the Middle East of racist white colonialism from Europe and the uh, U.S., and so ever since then, Israel's had a ton of support, um, you know, weapons support, diplomatic support, all kinds of support, and Palestine has been under its thumb. Gaza right now, one of the most densely populated areas on the planet, 2.3 million people, 50 percent of them children under the age of 18 um, trapped in an open air concentration camp, in many ways mirroring what happened in the Holocaust um, as far as the mass violence being being inflicted on the people. Typical of colonial um, efforts and the kind of violence that colonialism inflicts on the population, the indigenous populations, which the uh, colonists are trying to take over. And um, so right now, while Israel tries to do um, propaganda and just flat out lie to people about what Hamas is doing, um, they are keeping over one million children in a condition of, quote, total siege without food, water, electricity, Internet. And they've even bombed the humanitarian trucks that Egypt was sending in. I mean, a number of countries sent humanitarian aid. Um, it's just that egypt is where the border border crossing is and so israel was bombing the humanitarian aid uh this is war crimes on a massive level there should be absolutely no support for this of course the u.s is supporting it there are protests against that i recommend um joining into that however you can those are people who are on the right side of this um israel needs to be stopped and anyway we got into some more discussion of that in the video um The second half of the video was criticism of a Politsturm article, which actually was uh, suggested by somebody here on the stream. They said, what did you think of this article? And uh, I kind of skimmed through like the first third of it. And I was like, oh, this looks like it's probably a good overview. I've read a lot of Politsturm stuff and most of it's been good. And so I just kind of posted it up on the channel, like, oh, here, Politsturm did a thing. This is worth looking at. And I was getting a lot of feedback, like, wow, that's a terrible article. And I was like, oh, fuck, what now? And so then I read it through to the end carefully, and it was really, really bad. Um, They seem to be taking the position that, like, national liberation, this is not stated outright in the article, but it almost seems to be, you know, like, where is this coming from? They're trying to reduce this to an inter-imperialist struggle. No, and, you know, as I said in that video, um, you know, we have a hard enough time uh, trying to present the Ukraine war, which is actually... um, an inter-imperialist struggle you know after the destruction of the USSR when uh, the various countries of the USSR became independent countries well okay national liberation is already established you know Ukraine was liberated from the Russian Empire when the Russian Revolution happened you know a century ago so Ukraine was already a country and then it became part of the USSR It was one of the early SSR's and then um, when the USSR broke up in the 90s it remained independent. Russia, the problem though is, so it's been 30 years since the early 90s. What's been happening? Well, there's been a tug of war over Ukraine. Parts of Ukraine lean culturally and otherwise more towards Europe. Parts of it, particularly like the southern and eastern third of it, lean more towards Russia. So this is actually kind of a classic case of inter-imperialist competition over who gets to exploit this country. And um, just want to remind people, capitalism is inherently exploitation. So if you're dealing capitalistically with an area, that is exploiting it. So who gets you know the right to exploit Ukraine most? Uh, Russia or the EU? And so that's that's kind of like the the tug of war that's been going on for 30 years. You can see it reflected in Ukraine's politics. Um, sometimes I'll have more pro EU governments and politicians. Sometimes I'll have more pro Russian. But that's been a situation really since the end of the USSR um, where Ukraine's been kind of out on this limb, big enough to matter, not big enough to really um, have enough weight to just be its own thing. It's got to be in the orbit of something else and dealing consistently with something else. And while there is a world imperialist system that was set up after World War II and uh, has allowed the capitalists to somewhat more peacefully administrate Um, the exploitation of the non-leading countries. Um, Russia has not really been welcomed to the table fully. It is a capitalist power. It is a monopoly capitalist, which is um, in Marxism-Leninism. Imperialism is basically, if you're going to reduce it to one phrase or one term, one criterion, imperialism, as Lenin said, is monopoly capitalism. It's when capitalism gets to that high stage of Lots of consolidation, the emergence of a military industrial complex, giant trusts, multinational corporations, we would call today. So anyway, the world imperialist system did not really welcome Russia to the table after it stabilized after the destruction of the USSR. And so you have this competing capitalist bloc. It's not entirely separate, but it's competing in BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and the countries that they are signing up to their side. So we've got a big rift in the world imperialist system of two competing uh, capitalist blocks. And again, it's not that there's no overlap between them as, in terms of alliances. But as far as primary alliances, there is kind of these two blocs uh, forming. And so you have Russia on the one side and the U.S. and the NATO countries on the other side kind of fighting over Ukraine. So this is classic. Um, it's not just in Ukraine and they wouldn't be having a war. If it was just about ukraine but we see fronts maybe opening up in western africa where um some of the they're not revolutions as people have tried to say but there are coups where one part of the ruling class say the military is cooing another part of the ruling class Uh, so it's not a revolution there's not a change in the ruling class but they're getting out the pro-french pro-us elements of the ruling class in favor of pro-russia maybe pro-BRICS elements of the ruling class. That's not to say that that's not entirely rational. The U.S. and the IMF and World Bank and its associated economic institutions and diplomatic institutions have been very unfair. Uh, I mean, like grievously so. The U.S. uh, in particular, after World War II, you know, set itself up to just be the primary beneficiary after World War II of the emerging global system. And they don't know how to deal fairly. They don't know how to... Uh, compete, you know. That's not. It's not a situation that they've had to be in. I mean, no capitalist wants to compete. They just want to take and take and take as much as they possibly can. The, the U.S. is not unique in that way, but now you have an emerging rival capitalist bloc, particularly centered around China. China is the biggest economy in BRICS, and that's arguably what the BRICS countries have most in common is that China is their primary trade partner. So China just has to be slightly less awful capitalistically than the U.S. All capitalism is exploitation. But if you can just give a slightly more competitive deal than the U.S. and be like, we are 50 percent less likely to overthrow your government if you don't make the payments that you owe us, then, hey, that looks more appealing than the U.S. It's still capitalism. But um, that's how you get a rift within the world imperialist system is the U.S. is not really wanting to adapt to that. Um, The U.S. has built up an enormous amount of enmity over you know the past decades for the way that it does very blatantly throw its weight around kind of acting seemingly like it's never going to get a comeuppance now there is a rival capitalist bloc which threatens to put it in its place and so rifts emerging but yeah so anyway ukraine kind of a classic uh front in an inter-imperialist conflict over who gets to win that tug of war and uh palestine though way predates this. It's a national liberation struggle, arguably left over from 20th century colonialism that never got resolved, Um, trying to reduce Palestine to some, quote, you know, puppet of Russia or puppet of China. There was, uh, you know, that was stated explicitly, actually, that it was an inter-imperialist conflict in that Politstrom article. And uh, that's just flatly incorrect. And I don't know where you would even get a take like that. But as I was kind of uh, a long-winded explanation, but coming back around to um, it seemed to be implying that national liberation struggles in the current age aren't possible because, you know, they'll end up breathing the same air at some point as an imperialist power. Yes, Palestine gets some material aid from other countries, economies which at least are larger than it is, whether they're major imperialist powers or not, is, you know, not... uh, that's not always the case as far as the ones that seem to support them the most seriously. Like even the U.S. gives some aid to Palestine, but obviously it gives far more to Israel. And it's, you know, sending military um, resources into the area now basically to um, try to warn off the surrounding countries about, hey, don't turn this into a regional war against Israel because the U.S. has already parked out in the Mediterranean and they will fuck you up. So that's Pretty much the dimensions already. Now, somebody might say, well, what about China? They, they're calling for a two-state solution. Yeah, that's an imperialist piece. The U.S. also calls for a two-state solution. You can hear Joe Biden talking about a two-state solution. That's, again, an imperial, imperialist resolution of the situation for the benefit of the overall global imperialist system. Um, and so China also is the number one source of imports, so helping to sustain Israel there was a Chinese company building them a subway system a few years ago. And again, in 2020, 2021, China became the leading source of Israeli imports. So that's helping to sustain a colonial uh, effort and and an extension of imperialism. So, you know, as far as this being some inter-imperialist conflict, that's not the case at all. I thought there was, I mean, it's kind of What else would you expect but wildly flimsy evidence? I don't know why they even tried to make that argument, to be honest. So anyway, uh, I did put that in the video. And, um, you know, I've said in the past, Politstern, to my mind, is one of the better Marxist organizations out there. If people are looking for a study group, I'm not a member of it and I'm not trying to formally endorse it. But to my mind, they've been um, one of the ones that have their shit together the most However, they need to do massive crit on that. I mean, to the point of, I put that in the about uh, description of this page. Like, people ask, what do you recommend for a Marxist organization? I'm like, well, you might check out Paul Sturm. That's what I say. There, And so then people come back to me with all kinds of, like, every single thing that they didn't like about something that Paul Sturm said. Particularly Maoist, because Paul Sturm isn't a Maoist organization. Okay. But uh, as somebody put it, they... Um, And I think that this may be one of the more sustained criticisms over time, that they're a uh, more of a Brezhnevite organization posing as anti-revisionist. So anyway, you know, I think at this point, um, even they are a relatively newer Marxist-Leninist organization. And I think struggle is, you know, possible within the organization. Criticism is possible within the organization. But sometimes people approach me because I mention them as like the least worst option out there in my view. As like, you know, I'm somehow personally responsible for every view that they take. That isn't the case. However, you know, um, as soon as you associate your name with anything at all, then when they do have, in my opinion, like a massive fuck up like that Palestine article, then, you know, it's like I have to say something. Otherwise, people think that I'm endorsing that. But just just to be clear, you know, this this channel is its own independent thing. I think that they're the least worst, although that article, you know, there was somebody in the comments calling for a complete denunciation of Politsturm as an organization. And the comparison that they made was in comparison to um, Paul Cockshot, who's a Scottish guy who, um, you know, is arguably like does some Marxist Leninist stuff, but then had this whole series of anti-LGBTQ bigoted shit. And I completely wrote off Paul Cockshot because... Okay, computers plus socialism, we can get that elsewhere at this point. Thank you for your contribution. Now, moving on, you're a reactionary. Well, the difference, I mean, one of the main differences, at least between Paul Cockshot and Politsturm, Paul Cockshot is not an organization. He's a lone rando and, you know, it's not representing hundreds or maybe thousands of members, um, you know, trying to build a maybe pre-party formation. It's just a guy who has written some books and runs a YouTube channel. It's one thing to denounce and sort of write off somebody like that until they do the self-crit and be like, hey, I've been writing horribly bigoted anti-LGBTQ shit. I should stop doing that. And uh, you all you know, it's, anyway, you get the idea. Um, Paul Sturm as an organization, I'm sure most of the members don't even agree with that article um, because it's, I think, um, obviously anti-Marxist Leninist. Lenin wrote a lot. About the national and colonial struggles, Stalin continued with that. This was like a well-developed theoretical topic under even early 20th century Marxism-Leninism. So uh, it's not like there's not a lot to draw from in that regard. And and I, I just this was like a, I, you know, they they shot at the target and didn't even hit the target, not even the edge. I don't I don't know where that came from, but uh, yeah, Paul Sturm, unlike Paul Cockshot is an organization with many members and no, you shouldn't write it off based on one thing. People need to, I think, get out of that mindset where an organization makes one error and then you cancel them. It's not really how the struggle works. That's never how it's worked. There are always mistakes in parties. The question is, will they self-criticize and rectify? That's the question. So, you know, if you just start canceling um, organizations full of thousands of people based on one mistake, that's I mean, you're going to end up with nothing. It takes a lot to build an organization. And I've been involved in organizations where people tried to do that, like very liberal canceling game over one thing. And guess what? You know, you're talking about an organization that people have devoted hundreds, thousands of hours to and resources. And, you know, they've that's a a real thing. You can't just treat it like blocking somebody on Twitter. It's not the same thing. Now, you know, that said, uh, if over years, you know, the thing doesn't get corrected, uh, that's, you know, something to look at. But I think while that was, in my opinion, a serious error on a well-established question, yeah, no, don't cancel Paul at Sturm over it. But, you know, keep your eye. Do they criticize? You know, there can be calls for criticism and there can be... Uh, you know, um, I know there's a few Paul Stern members here in the chat, and uh, I don't know, see if, see if they have anything to say about it or whatever. But let's get on. That's what's new uh, on the channel. I think I've said enough about that for now. I'm sure we'll revisit this topic as we get into the chat. Um, beyond that, what's coming up on the channel? So I posted a while ago, if you scroll down on the community tab, there is a uh, thing where there's like a smiley face wearing a mask with a heart. That was when I was thanking the patrons when we had the big Patreon kerfuffle a few weeks ago. By the way, I still haven't gotten the October money. If um, I would like to hear from you if Patreon billed you as a patron uh, because they never deposited that money to me. I'm hoping this all gets resolved when the November 1st billing cycle comes around, but that was over $900 that Patreon just didn't send uh, to me. And uh, there's a whole story about that. There's videos posted. We've already covered it. Uh, but hopefully that gets you know, corrected, and uh, maybe they're just sitting on that money and waiting for a payday. Uh, you know, the next the next scheduled one to roll around to dump it all in, I don't know. But to me, that was a significant amount of money. It's like over $900. And people did step up. They donated extra on Buy Me A Coffee and Patreon for the month. And I appreciate that. Basically, we made up the shortfall because people did step up. Just, just about exactly, actually. Um, but... Keeping an eye on what happens next week um, with the uh, the Patreon thing. Anyway, there was a post that I was making thanking people for stepping up with that. And I posted some upcoming readings. And so we've done two of those readings now off of that list. The Is China an Imperialist Country? That was posted in four parts. It's about a six-hour audio altogether. And a pretty data-heavy um, uh, investigation of and digging into an analysis of... China's status as the, by some metrics, second largest economy in the world; by some metrics, the largest economy in the world now, under imperialism. And of course, they're allowing lots of capitalism in China. Um, you know, does should China be considered an imperialist country? And I thought that was a good um, step towards really breaking that down and and discussing it. Then we did Lenin's a caricature of Marxism and imperialist economism. The next text I was going to do. Is uh, and we're still going to do it, is Enver Hoxha's massive criticism of the Dungus turn, capitalist restoration in 1978, China, um, which I always screw up the title on this one. Is it Imperialism and the Revolution? Anyway, that is coming up, but I'm actually sticking in a few uh, texts first. So a caricature of Marxism and imperialist economism by Lenin suggested one other text, which is Socialism and War, written by Lenin and Zinoviev. And uh, there were two other real short texts associated with that. So those will be most likely posted next. There's also, um, Flashy pointed out, a uh, Hoja has a whole collection on Palestine. I want to read that. And the thing is, um, it was written in the 70s and 80s. Or, yeah, was it the 70s and 80s? Early 80s, I think. It was like from like 1969 to like 1982, maybe. That collection and he talks a lot about Soviet revisionism and I think that to understand even where he's coming from in that there's a couple of other things that you should know about Hoja's view of uh, this is the leader of Albania if you don't know um, his view and which kind of dovetailed with the Maoist view of the USSR as a social imperialist or um, social socialist in name imperialist in practice power you know that's debatable some people don't think that it was. This is more the, quote, Brezhnevite thing, that they had, you know, sort of corrected the uh, Khrushchev's errors after Stalin and sort of resumed socialist construction. Other people feel that um, it continued on as a revisionist, uh, you know, social imperialist power. We'll get into that discussion more, but it was Hoja's view that the USSR was a revisionist, social imperialist, and kind of a threat, um, a different kind of threat than the U.S., to national liberation struggles and to social revolutions, but a threat nonetheless. And so there are two pieces I want to read just in preparation for the Palestine piece. Otherwise, you're not going to understand what he's saying about um, the Soviet revisionists and his view. And so this is uh, the Modern Revisionists and also, I forget the other uh, title. Hoja has these great long titles. Um, Like there was a piece he wrote a while ago that is on the channel criticizing Che Guevara as being maybe adventurous, for the way that he's going around kind of uh training groups in like guerrilla warfare anyway um the title of that one is like the fist of the marxist leninists must also smash left adventurism or something like that just great titles great titles and uh so the, anyway these there will be two maybe hour-long hojiteks and then the palestine collection and then we'll resume with the thing so that's kind of uh what's coming up on the channel we're gonna stick to that list and get to capital and anti during part two imperialism the highest stage of capitalism but you know sometimes you read a text and it directly suggests follow-up texts or um and then sometimes to a follow-up text there's like maybe a um something you need to read as a prefatory preparatory work and uh we have actually one of each in this case so anyway socialism and war and then also the three hoja things and we'll get into the uh continue on the um sort of china critical to represent that perspective You know, people. Somebody was uh, had a comment about the Lenin thing, a caricature of Marxism and imperialist economism. They said, "Is this part of your anti-China push?" Well, so the anti-China push is not an anti-China push. It is a Marxist-Leninist push. You know, uh, China was not a socialist power at that point. That Lenin was writing in 1916, um, a caricature of Marxism and imperialist economism. He was just writing against revisionism. So you know if that type of revisionism um comes up later on you know 6 decades later in china then it's applicable but the push is always for marxism leninism it's not anti china i just want people to understand that uh you know this youtube channel helmed by me is not exactly the first person that's come about saying hey maybe not all is um fully you know above board as far as like china's socialist construction in the last few decades. Um, But unfortunately, a lot of what you do find that presents itself as, quote, Marxist-Leninist at this point, is extremely pro-China. And um, we'd like to present some other pretty well-established alternative historical views on that. And, you know, some people call it ultra-left. I don't don't think Lenin was ultra-left. So anyway, yeah, I just... The anti-China push. It's, now it's a pro-Marxism-Leninism push, but uh, let's just get it straight. All right. Getting into the chat now. I'm going insane, and the only cure is S4A live streams. Well, you know, this helps keep me sorted and straight. That's sorted, not sorted. Uh, although, I, I don't know, a little both. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, it helps to talk about this stuff with people who actually have some understanding of uh, Marxism Critical view of society and historical development; otherwise, you just wind up confused, lost, mystified, and we're trying to fight against all of that. So yeah, uh, people eating baked potatoes in celebration of hashtag TaterTube our alternative to bread tube. I don't promote that as much, but uh, the the hashtag is still there. hashtag TaterTube, absolutely uh, more filling than bread, more satisfying. than than any other food actually plain boiled potatoes alright there's another comment actually from the Twitch Whispers I watch your videos on YouTube and you help me to realize the problems with capitalism and how it's a historical necessity to transition to socialism I think you need to start taking this all to TikTok you'll get more engagement there and the younger audience are starting to gain a little bit more conscious uh, oh they're starting to gain more consciousness because of recent events they just don't know what the answers are so um I think TikTok and that more short form content may be the last frontier for this channel. I've been developing everything else, you know, getting uh backups going on SoundCloud and Spotify. For now, that's where else we're posting it. Um we're also doing the written stuff, like I said, that's new this month, so we're just getting the Substack going. I think you can actually also post videos directly on Substack. Patreon is now also um really kind of promoting it seems like Patreon wants to be more of a standalone platform that was like both we had a hiccup with um, there was like a legitimacy check being done on the S4A account at the same time this month as they were doing a huge new platform remodel rollout so I think that's why the massive hiccup with me not getting paid over $900 this month and uh, they also haven't responded to the help tickets yet I've opened three help tickets about that extraordinarily unprofessional. There's actually a, there's another um, Patreon alternative that just opened up. Actually, I don't know if it's any good yet, but I do follow the Patreon Reddit, and what's the name of it? Creator's Wheelhouse. Just like a brand new one. So Patreon, if it doesn't stick to what it's good at and what people like about they're going to get buried by competitors, and I think it's just incredibly stupid. But um, anyway, Patreon seems to be wanting to be more of like a platform. They're allowing people to um, follow... Accounts without supporting them on a quote free tier, sorry, no, I run that thing exclusively for the people you know it 's a tip jar, and I use it to engage with the people who specifically are financially engaging now that said, uh everything that we make as far as videos and stuff like that, none of it's behind a paywall it's all on youtube, Soundcloud, Spotify, wherever else we 're posting it um, but sometimes I just want to message the people who are like supporting and have been in contact long term. to keep track of those people and what i don't need is a lot of like you know hangers on like you know anybody else that just clicks the subscribe button that's weird patreon should know people don't really want that and um you know they try to present it like oh well it'll um by giving people a free trial it'll make them more likely to sign up and it's like well actually will it or will it de-incentivize people who are already supporting Again, it's just a tip jar for S four A, but there are creators that have stuff like artists or whatever behind a paywall, and they want it to stay behind a paywall. And I just don't know what Patreon's doing, but um, seems a little shaky. But anyway, I could be posting videos over there once this is all set, and like you know, the Substack and the Medium brand new are sorted out. Maybe I will start thinking about making short form content. It's going to be a new skill set for me. It's going to be a new um, way of thinking about content because I like long form content a lot of this content you know a lot of the listeners of this are people who listen at work and maybe especially people who are like delivery drivers um and you know they just got many many hours where they're looking to listen to something good or they're you know working in a warehouse and they're got their headphones on and um they just want to listen to hours of content i'm also you know I like conversing and I like talking and so we do the, uh, the long-form content. It would be a stretch for me to start doing short-form content at all because I just don't really think that way. But who knows, after everything's all set, maybe I will start. I already have a TikTok account set up. with a few people following it, um, but I haven't uploaded anything. And uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll think about it. You know, maybe I can start actually looking some of those, um, who was it, Paula Farg, Had some like under five minute audiobooks. Maybe I can just start posting those up. And then, you know, but ultimately, like that Palestine video, for example, that was like a 45 minute video. And by the end of that, I felt like I had emptied my head out. You know, I had cleared my thoughts, everything was on the board, and it was stuff for people to listen to and chew on. And I think thoughtfully consider. As I've discussed before, one of the shortcomings of TikTok to me is it's enough time to raise questions, but not thoughtfully process them. And so that might be good for clicks and addicting people to your content. That's not what we're trying to do here. The whole point of this channel is education and, uh, you know, trying to get people into a position where they're capable of, in the real world, um, applying this knowledge and the lessons of the almost two centuries of the international communist movement to real world political problems in the here and now. That's the whole point, solving political problems. And, you know, not just getting people addicted onto uh, three-minute videos. So I don't know. I'll have to give this some thought. But you have this for me as of today. You have my pledge that I will start thinking about what can I do in addition to the long-form content, which is never going away. That's just my style. That's, you know, what I think about. That's um, what I'm here to do. But how can I add on short-form content in a way that feels like is also my style and that doesn't you know because if I start doing stuff that um, do, isn't really in the flow of what is sincere and genuine then it creates a lot of tension that winds up sapping my energy and then I wind up not being able to do the audiobooks or whatever and so it's got to be uh, coming from a real place in me where you know and what's the time limit on TikTok I know for a while it was like two and a half minutes did they get it up to seven or am I imagining that? Anyway, um, I'll see what I can do uh, and, like, what kind of content I could actually do. Maybe, like, teasers for the audiobooks. I don't know. You know, like, maybe a summary of some of the main points and, and a teaser for the audiobooks. But, like, I don't know. And I'm not going to start riffing too much out loud about that right now on stream. But, yeah, it would, be, it would be a stretch for me. But you have my pledge to start thinking about how do we spread on the TikTok. All right? So... What else do we have going on in the chat? My city of Indianapolis is becoming so gentrified. I mean, how many five-over-one mid-rises are they going to build, and they're still building? Parts of the bus system of electronic payment systems I've yet to learn. Parking fare has been largely privatized. I learned this when I went to the protest downtown on Sunday, protest against the bombing of Gaza. I live in midtown and rarely go downtown. Things have changed so much in the last 10 years. Um, I I think things started really changing with, um, you know, broadband internet when that started really becoming a thing about 20 years ago. And then in the last, you know, 10 years, there's been just huge rollout, not just of the surveillance state and, you know, cameras all over the place, but also um, they're using the internet to just, you know, there's so many smart devices and this and that to just really squeeze things. We're living through a very painful time right now. Eventually, you know, more people will catch on and protest and figure out the most effective ways to organize and fight back, and we will eventually win. But, you know, while we are waiting for the masses to really come around, it's going to be a difficult time. But, um, you know, getting prepped for that and helping to spread class consciousness and helping to save people the mistake of, um, you know, working with stuff that, has been proven through history not to work that's what can make all this go faster and a little less painful but you no know. claret second is good underappreciated author yeah she was you know a major ally of lenin and luxembourg in the second international the fight against revisionism then and yeah she you know had some of her pieces are a bit of the a product of their time as far as um You know, proletarian feminism at that time, like the position of women was uh, really kind of far back from where it was now in some senses. But uh, yeah, overall, as far as, you know, major questions of Marxism, uh, Zetkin's a good author, wrote a lot about fascism. We have some of uh, her speeches on fascism on the channel because fascism was new then. So this was Marxists uh, and Marxist-Leninists responding to fascism in real time as it was emerging in the 1920s. Um, I'm not sure I know the answer to this. What are some good reads for how higher skilled or specialized labor will be handled under socialism or people who work more hours? Is it just expected that people will do what they like and what they're good at? So, I mean, we have established history at this point of countries that underwent socialist construction. I would just refer you to the details of the history of some of those countries. And I'm not as up on that. Uh, That's just not at this point one of the things that my knowledge is more specialized in, but there are answers to that question. It's not just theoretical because socialist construction did actually put people in a position to figure out those questions. So next thing, regarding Gaza, watching a genocide progress in real time on social media over the past couple of weeks has been so dystopian and how many people uh, choose to remain ignorant about it? Absolutely. you know, We've posted a lot on the community tab, as I mentioned about it, I wanted to also point out again, Democracy Now, for whatever their flaws are, have been posting um, really consistent. I mean, both over the years, they've covered Palestine way more than uh, most other outlets have, um, with actually a pretty good understanding of what is happening there. And the past few weeks, it's just been daily, lots of coverage. There was a particular interview I watched the other day that I thought was really good with uh, Rami Khoury. Palestinian-American journalist Rami Cory on Israel's Gaza bombardment is, if you search on that, um, you'll find it. It's just from two days ago. Uh, that was like a 20-minute statement. They just let him go. I thought that that was a pretty good summary. And I looked that guy up, Rami Cory. He has made statements in the past like, well, everybody has something to blame for the current situation, including the Arabs. This was very straightforward, the statement. I think a lot of people who have been critical in the past. This is such a cut and dried situation of Israel is so beyond um, any kind of uh, tolerable limits of what they're doing. What they're doing is pure atrocities at this point. Um, mass uh, dislocation of over a million people in Northern Gaza. They were telling people to leave and started bombing Northern Gaza, but then people had nowhere to go. Were they gonna go Southern Gaza? because Israel's not letting them out. And then the connection with Egypt is being bombed. They're not letting humanitarian aid in. So this it's like fish in a barrel. And Israel is still trying to present itself as the victim. I don't know who that's genuinely going over with at this point. But uh, you're right, it is dystopian. But I think, um, you know, actually one of the points that that guy Rami Cory was making was what Israel does not understand is every time it escalates... It gets more resistance and more defiance. Um, like Hezbollah, uh, the, you know, the um, every time that they have a conflict with Israel, they come back more determined to resist and defy. And what Israel is cooking up right now, with what it's doing, and the world can see in Gaza, uh, not fully because they've cut off internet and there's very limited amounts of fuel for even people to recharge their devices and stuff. But um, people can see at least that they're creating this black box environment that they're just dumping bombs into and things. Um, You know, where this is going to shake out for Israel in a year or two, do they even know what they're doing? Are they thinking that far ahead? Is this just sheer arrogance? You know, is the U.S. going to just park those naval carriers um, outside of there forever? Or at some point, does Israel have to face up to what its neighbors think about what it's doing? You know, And that gets complicated as well. But um, it seems to me like they just want to completely take over Gaza at this point. That's not justified in any way, shape, or form. No other country would uh, be justified in supporting that. You'd have a real hard time even getting the U.S. to come up with some kind of um, two-faced bullshit rationale for that you know, they're, they're really pressing their luck this time. And, uh, you know, I mean, one wants an end to this conflict, which Israel and its backers and enablers are completely responsible for. And one just wants as swift and peaceful a resolution to this as is possible. But Israel is bringing the violence and seems like Netanyahu back in power is really pushing for just like, this is what he was, you know, put on earth to do. Um, just kind of a caricature like almost cartoonish level of um you know this kind of swaggering hostility and uh you know reminiscent of like the bush cheney years when the u.s was launching the war on war on terror in the first place and trying to sell that it doesn't work it it makes people hate you and then you're reliant solely on uh, military force and then you know it does feed into this zionist narrative of like oh, all Jews must support Israel because the whole world wants to kill us. And it's like, well, to the extent that, first of all, Zionism is not Judaism. And to the extent that you're associating the name of world Jewry with the behavior of the state of Israel, a racist colonial project, which is not Judaism, um, you're not helping. But see, it's in their interest to not help. It's in their interest to undermine the position of jews in other countries around the world make them feel dependent you know scared and like they need to go migrate to israel where they'll be quote safe but they're only safe because of the colonial imperial racist backing and enabling of you know countries like the us and uk and other people that are supporting china diplomatically or materially again we mentioned china number one source of israeli imports right now so it's got to stop. There needs to be, um, you know, uh, anyway, the, the, the aid to Israel needs to be cut off and, because that's what's making all of this happen. Talking about gentrification, welcome to America. The same is happening here in Nashville. It's happening in, was it Indianapolis we were just talking about? Um, continuing the comment. Uh, same here is happening in Nashville. They're going to build a cop city thing here soon, too. Three hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, there's so there's a Baltimore Cop City thing, and this is the U.S.'s response, and this is what it's going to be like up to the end of the system until the system breaks down and people actually revolt against it. It's just going to be. I mean, it's already um, moving into fascism. It's been for decades. Fascism is basically the ideology of imperialism or advanced monopoly capitalism, but. It's a process, fascization. It gets more and more fascist until it's just fully militarized and like indistinguishable from, you know, like a military occupation. And that's how it will get as the system goes deeper and deeper into crisis. It will get more and more fascist. That simple. And, you know, people looking to the Democrats as some kind of reprieve from the system are looking in the wrong place. There are some places locally where the Democrat is like, you know, somewhat a little bit better. They give a crumb here and there, but their party's been around since 1828. This system belongs to them as much as it belongs to anyone. And, you know, you can vote Democrat till you're blue in the face. Democrats can win, you know, 90% of the seats in the government. It doesn't, uh, you know, and that'll be a fluke. It doesn't fundamentally change anything. The Republicans just wind up getting back in power no matter how many times Democrats win. Democrats um, would have to do something distinctly different, such as aligning with the left in a meaningful way, uh, like, you know, not just using Bernie Sanders as a hood ornament, but actually adopting, you know, we're going to do Medicare for all, we're going to do this and that. I mean, the needs, the material demands of the imperial system that the U.S. government represents and those duties are divided up amongst the Democrats and Republicans. Uh, who share in custody. And then the libertarians wait in the wings as yet another neoliberal party that uh, just wants more austerity, more capitalism, more imperialism, although they say they don't. But that's just utopian nonsense because the material needs of the system that libertarians advocate for is exactly the same as what the Democrats and Republicans do. So it's just sort of utopian anarchist nonsense that you can have advanced monopoly capitalism without imperial wars or without a police state domestically. That's just a bunch of nonsense. So you've got the Democrats and Republicans sharing the duties of managing, expanding and administrating the imperialist U.S. system. Um, And then the Libertarians, the third largest party in the U.S., they have, you know, a little bit of a foothold here or there in a state government. And then some Republicans kind of at least nominally identify with the Libertarian Party as like more extreme neoliberals basically because what do they want to do they want to uh, deregulate private industry they want to privatize all the public stuff that they can which then again the deregulation it's like so they want to um privatize deregulate and then whatever they can't flat out privatize they want to at least defund and undercut the public programs well congrats you just described neoliberalism and that's what we already have from the other two parties the only difference of the Libertarian Party is just some utopian window dressing um, about, you know, not having a police state. This system to run on private property at this point needs a police state because what the system is doing is unpopular. And to defend those unpopular interests that go against the interests of the most of the population in the country, you know, you need massive amounts of force. There's no other way to do it. Um, You know, so no substantial change with libertarians, but that's the way it is. You know, Democrats would have to really break off, do the popular reforms of the type that Bernie Sanders was, uh, you know, advocating. Then, of course, he rolled over um, completely, very thoroughly uh, as soon as push came to shove. Very unfortunate because uh, I think that was the best opportunity in more than half a century, probably, to start up a left party. And funnel people over into something else out of the Democratic Party and said Sanders chose to do the exact opposite, funnel people into the Democratic Party. And so, you know, we get no change because the Democrats are fully wedded to this system. You look at who funds them. And yeah, there's a couple of differences. You can go on a site like OpenSecrets.org. We've done this in previous streams. Um, Look at who funds the top Democrats and who funds the top Republicans. Basically, the same. There's a couple of differences like Democrats get donations from unions, teachers, and public sector employees, and then Republicans get some more donations from like the building trades and railroads and stuff. But as far as the nuts and bolts, property developers, real estate interests, banks, the medical industrial complex like the top 10 donors are almost identical to both parties when you get to the top level. So it's just Anyway, um, the left has to break off from the Democratic Party. We've also got to do things like build up the labor movement. And uh, to some extent, these things, you know, the labor movement may come before people realize that the Democrats really aren't your friend. I think they're kind of more co-requisites. But, you know, again, we're here to just keep assisting with that building of class consciousness, discussing the issues, agitating and then educating about it. So anyway, as people are talking about with, um, you know, Nashville... Uh, the the cop city thing gentrification so there is a housing crash starting in the US it hasn't hit nationally yet we did a video on this a few weeks ago so yeah West Coast big real estate price drops also Texas Florida so sort of the um, Southwest up into the Pacific Northwest there's already been big real estate price cuts uh, a lot of the rest of the country hasn't really hit yet except here and there. Actually, I think Nashville is one of the places it's starting to hit now. Part of the thing is that when interest rates were real low, which is kind of how the Fed and you know the managers of the system on the um, financial side uh, got things going again after 2008 was like 1% interest rates. Well, now the interest rates are going up, which is making, uh, you know it's not as easy to just get a mortgage. And buy up a bunch of properties for speculation and investment. Um, The other thing is that the treasury bond yields are going up. So that's more attractive to people like, oh, you're going to pay us a higher percentage to invest in the U.S. debt. Okay, well now they're starting to dump the properties that they had bought over the last 10 years. And put it into treasuries instead. And also they can't take out new mortgages as easily because... The average um residential mortgage, I think, right now is 8% and rising. And so commercial also high. So it's more expensive to get debt to buy up real estate. So that the new purchases are stopping from investors and corporations. And they're going to start dumping those to put the cash into other things. Also, unemployment is starting to go up. It hasn't like spiked yet. But as that happens, there's also going to be forced selling. So there's been incredibly low inventory of houses out there, uh, but that's not going to stay the case. All through 2024, we're going to have like a pre-2008 situation of probably uh, housing prices crashing, and uh, which is great for people who have been waiting all this time to move somewhere. Rents right now are at an um, all-time national high, according to Rent.com, of over $2,000 a month. It's an all-time high if you're struggling because of rent that's not in your head that's a actual material structural condition it's not your fault it's structural so um, you know that's hovering at its height right now however again in some regions the prices are starting to come down and you will see that spread across the whole country and it will deepen and deepen again go back to 2007 2008 the last time this happened and for basically two two and a half years the prices just kept coming down. And wherever it's most overvalued, uh, you know, the hottest markets, it's going to crash the most. But even some of the more uh, relatively stable housing markets, prices will come down too. Everywhere is overvalued right now. It's in some places, like dramatically overvalued. So that's happening, although we haven't really seen the relief quite yet. But, uh, you know, uh, for people who've been waiting to buy a house, the prices probably are going to come down soon, again, as these institutional buyers dump it back onto the market so that they can go put their money in something else. And, you know, this was just, um, this is going to keep happening. It's a real indignity to all the people living and working in this country to not have like a stable housing situation. Housing should be guaranteed. And uh, it's anything but. It's treated like a commodity that is uh huge speculation is allowed we need to end all of that you're not going to end that with either the democrats or the republicans are you kidding me they're controlled and owned by the people you know i think it was real estate interests and developers were like the number four donor to both parties so you're not going to be ending that anytime soon Um, that said you know there are places where uh people do fight back for you know rent control or something like that you see that in some cities around the country and you know that struggle is possible in the, um, short term. Again, there's going to be the cyclical boom and bust crash in the housing market. So hopefully, you know, people can, um, get into that while it's less appealing to the big sharks in the tank here with us. But, you know, ultimately we're going to have to get those sharks out of the tank. Uh, we don't, you know, we're never going to be able to have dignified lives and proper economic rights with them there. So, Anyway, continuing on this discussion, I live near a beach and the number of new cookie cutter condos is absurd in the last five years. Yeah, they've been building tons of new properties. The problem is they're not really like affordable, what they call quote, starter houses. It's, you know, people, um, the developers trying to make, you know, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000. Who has money for this? You know, but this is the same exact shit they did in 2006, 2007 right before it all became, it it all came tumbling down. That was another thing that fueled the subprime mortgage crisis was all these developers built these expensive houses. It was like the only thing you could buy if you wanted something new. And then a lot of the older stuff, people were sitting in. It was just, it was occupied. It wasn't for sale. So you wanted to buy something. What's on the market? These new, relatively expensive houses that a lot of people couldn't afford. Well, before the Dodd-Frank regulations, which didn't go nearly far enough and, and weren't in the right directions either because what they did with Dodd-Frank was they're like, okay, the problem is banks are writing bad mortgages to people who uh, they're giving mortgages basically to people they know cannot repay these mortgages comfortably. There's a huge risk of people defaulting on the mortgage. So Dodd-Frank comes in and they're just like, okay, well, we'll tighten the restrictions on banks. Not like, okay, we'll make it easier for people to get housing. We'll just make it, you know, their only concern is just like regulating the bank behavior, not really caring whether people end up with houses or not. So people still need houses. It is one of the basic needs, shelter. And so uh, anyway, yeah, going back to 06, 07 and 05 even, you had lots of uh, kind of pricey stuff being built and people couldn't afford it. But they would go to the bank and the banks are, of course, aware of these situations because they make money writing mortgages to people. And they're like, well, we have to write mortgages to these people, even if they can't afford them. So they did, because there wasn't a law against it. So they wrote a lot of mortgages, and then eventually all of this blew up when there was an economic downturn and lots and lots of defaults, and it just fucked everything up because you had layer upon layer upon layer of people betting on these mortgage-related financial instruments. You can go watch something like The Big Short or like, like that, too, uh get more of the details. It's kind of crazy when you unwind what was actually happening and right up to the end the big institutional players were all saying it's fine. It's fine, it's fine. Right now the big financial players are starting to warn people that the you know, the Fed's rates are going to be higher for longer and this is probably going to continue all through 2024 and into 2025. So there's going to be this big tightening. They they're trying to do quantitative tightening to reverse the process of quantitative easing which is the only thing that saved the economy multiple rounds nine trillion dollars of basically free money dumped into the economy that's how they got out of the credit crunch of 2008. Well the problem is every time that they try to quantitatively tighten more than five percent they get up to like seven or eight percent of reduction so in other words 92 93 percent of the money that they dumped into the system is still there they just pulled out seven or eight percent of it There is some problem. Either the repo market blows up like repo madness in September 2019. That was after the first round of quantitative tightening. Then they had to dump a bunch more money in. Then the pandemic happened, and they dumped more money in for that. Now, since last year, they've been doing quantitative tightening. Well, what happened in March? SVB and Signature, mid-sized banks blowing up. So they had to bail those out. So what does that mean, bail those out? It means dump more money in. So all the tightening that they had done up to that point just got reversed. They were right back to square one with the bailout, uh, basically those assets being brought onto the Fed's balance sheet. So it's this house of cards that they've been running. It's on life support, I think, is the best way to understand it since 2008. And the, the juice that's keeping the life support running is all this free low interest rate money, basically, that they've been dumping out there to keep things circulating. And of course, due to the nature of the system, capitalism, capital tends to consolidate at the top. So, you know, it flows upward. This whole system is based on that. So, you know, you dump money into the system. Yes, it will pass through the hands of working people once or twice or three times. But where does it actually end up? Well, it's going to, you know, the, the locus of gravity is up at the big consolidated trusts or monopoly capitalists. And so that's where the money ends up again, just sitting in the coffers of the capitalists, and maybe they go start buying residential houses, taking them off the market. So instead of, you know, buying a house in the American dream, which is, by the way, uh, for people who want to criticize that, that's, um, you know, like, oh, well, in other countries, people can't even do that. Well, that's what this country is set up for. So if you don't get a house, you may not get housing. Or you can only live in a city where there are apartments, because there's a lot of regions of the country which are rural and there just literally are not rental properties out there so if you want to live in a lot of states in the united states you have to buy or there's just nowhere to live you know either buy or pitch a tent because there aren't apartment buildings in many counties of this country or there's like a handful of them so you know that that's that's the system is like you know it's kind of like in the u.s you want to get around you must have a car that's just structurally how the system's set up and that's not Something that the labor aristocracy decided that's, you know, the people who are actually at the levers of power decide. And then the rest of us just have to kind of try to cope and like eke out whatever life we can get out of that. So anyway, um, you know, we're in another 2007 type moment because every time they try to take that money out, it causes something to break. And now they're saying they're going to do higher for longer and like do some sustained tightening. Tightening. This is where something breaks. It hasn't broken quite yet in this round. I mean, nothing's broken since six months ago with SBB, but, you know, nothing breaks until it breaks, and then just you wake up one day, and it's like, oops, a bank went under. You know, and a lot of times, they will, right up to the last minutes, try to keep investor confidence high. You know, lie to you, basically. Just put out misleading statements that are overly positive. Well, um, you know... That's just not the way. Anyone who knows the system and is familiar with it knows it crashes. And, you know, it's on life support now. Uh, The next crash is going to be huge. By the way, it's during these times of crisis and instability that fascism takes quantum leaps forward. It was after 2008 that the Tea Party got launched as an astroturfed new phase of the far right of the Republican Party. And what do you think is going to happen the next time there's going to a crash, which I think is in the next one to two, maybe three years, but probably one to two. Well, you're going to get another quantum leap forward of fascism as people freak out about what's going on and they don't have the class consciousness or historical understanding. We're working on correcting that, but we only have so much reach uh, to actually put the blame where it should be. And so they get sucked into a Trump or a MAGA or some other fascist shit. And then, uh, you know, you get people trying to revert back to a Biden as the, or an Obama as the default. Like, oh, good old American democracy. You know, bring bring back Bill Clinton, everything will be fine. You know, that that's not progress. That's not fixing the problem. That's just a reprieve from the absolute, you know, um, dog foaming at the mouth, snapping its jaws like an inch from your face of Republican governance. You go back to Democrats, and it's nothing. It's fixed. It's just <laughs> the dog is a foot away now rather than an inch away. So... We need a more uh, fundamental fix uh, to actually correct these problems. And again, libertarians, you'll hear libertarians talking about some of the stuff that I'm talking about with the house of cards that the economy is. Um, They don't have any real solutions, though, because they don't understand historical development. They're just like utopian capitalists, basically, where they think you can just um, you know, I've heard some libertarian channels talking about this housing crisis and the crash that's coming. They can put their finger on that because they blame everything on the Federal Reserve. Like, oh, if we just didn't have the Federal Reserve trying to manage the money, then capitalist um, boom and bust would just work itself out and you wouldn't have money managers trying to, you know, screw with interest rates and things like that. You know what that actually means? Um, It means an incredibly unstable system. So without the Federal Reserve, like that's the only thing, that's how capitalism stabilized itself enough to even survive this long is by trying to do some of that planning and management. Even with the best kind of capitalist planning and management, you can only get so far with it, and it's still highly unstable. But, you know, it's bought them extra time, and it's set up this life support system that they're currently on. So the libertarian solution to all this, being the paleo-conservative, they think you can go back, turn back the wheel of history to before advanced monopoly capitalism and just go back to the sort of wild west capitalism of uh everybody striking out uh you know on their own starting up an enterprise this and that that's we're just not in that phase of historical development anymore and if you just like got rid of the fed you'd have a wildly unstable system would be throwing people out of work constantly um it would be even like if you think the current situation is nightmarish and it is what it would be like without even the relative stability of the imperialists trying to manage it the way that they are, that would be another level, you know. So um, the libertarians think you can fix the system by undercutting the things that are keeping it even as stable as it is, which is another reason we call them lolbertarians because you want to laugh out loud at their ignorance, you know. They can point out the problems with the system. Their solutions are, like, totally ahistorical, and unscientific, again, ut- utopian nonsense like all kinds of anarchism. Anyway, uh, you know, petty bourgeois consciousness, they're just more the same, same lack of sort of uh, petty bourgeois. Um, it, the petty bourgeoisie just never has answers. They're not one of the deciding classes in history. They're neither great in numbers nor in wealth. They're just a sort of appendage of the bourgeoisie that thinks sometimes that they're independent. And, you know, it's like libertarians. They just don't really grasp... Uh, the 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 actual histori- social historical dimensions of the moment that they're in. It'd be nice if more of them got this. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of these people are just missing something in their psychology, uh, maybe empathy, whatever. Uh, like, they, they think that the solution is just having this Mad Max, like, you know, unrestrained, unregulated capitalism. That actually would be worse than the current situation, not better. It would be different, I'll give you that, but it would not be better. Anyway, uh, including for them, like they they think they're going to end up rich somehow. And like, oh, I'm this master investment strategist. I'm going to like end up on top big libertarian me and my Bitcoin. No, you're the odds are that, you know, 99 percent of you would just get wiped out. Like, (laughs) as is the case uh, with capitalism over time. Anyway. I'd like a class analysis. Another comment says, um. Of the current smart, I don't know, was that, I don't know what you mean. Of the current smart, advanced capitalism, complicating life for the working class. Uh, Maybe you can restate, oh, smart city. I mean, I don't know that this is substantially any different than than what we have now. You know, I don't think it takes too much imagination. It's just like, okay, more technology. Well, we've been dealing with that. For, I mean, I mentioned that um, that's been increasing for the last 20 years as broadband internet has spread. This is it just sort of, you know, maybe a somewhat of a quantum leap forward, like a significant step forward in that process all at once, but I don't know that it would be substantially that different than things are now. Or like the, 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 the general trend that things have been, uh, the direction things have been going in. And maybe I'm missing something about the smart cities, but... Uh, what little I've seen, I don't know, I I think it's not, not really different and uh, mostly hype. And um... so as far as smart cities, we discussed AI a lot, which I would assume is going to be a major component or planned to be a major component of the smart cities. What we were discussing with AI was and and the existential threat of AI. I get it uh, that people say the AI technology is not there currently. Yes, we acknowledge that I think in the first breath of the live streams that we did talking about AI a lot. uh, I think it is still correct to acknowledge an existential threat from AI, maybe 20, 30 years down the line as the technology significantly improves. Yes, no one thinks chat GPT is, you know, directly gonna become Terminator. It's not though, as I said many times during those streams, it's not the current dumbed down consumer grade stuff that you have to worry about now. It's that Chat GPT or G P T four was a leap ahead from G P T three, gaining abilities that G P T just wasn't on the radar for G P T three. By the time you get to G P T six or seven, what abilities is it going to have? And that's where it starts getting concerning, at least from a theoretical, you know, more sci fi point. And you know, covering that stuff for me at that time earlier this year, it was a bit of a nice reprieve. I was sort of reaching the end of my rope with we've been doing what we've been doing here at the channel for about three years it's nice to talk about something else for a while but um yeah i mean ai i'm sure would be part of that the other thing you have to understand about ai is the tech companies so the big seven what is it alphabet amazon nvidia and and so on um, that particularly are involved with uh, the AI development. A lot of the capitalist class currently relying and banking on AI sort of saving the stock market and things like that. But yeah, they're hoping that AI is gonna like basically rescue capitalism. Whether the GPT-4 and its applications at this point are sufficient to do that or not remains an open question. I'd say it's leaning in the no direction. That's not enough of a step forward to really save capitalism. I think that that's the hope. And there's a lot of sort of short-term rallying in the tech sector that um, we did some analysis or covered some analysis by somebody else that if you take out the big seven tech companies, especially that are involved with AI, the rest of the stock market has actually been declining for some time. So again, there's a lot of investment going on and um, people hopeful You know, I think it's not entirely unfounded that an AI boost could, at least in the short term, you know, help out that capitalist life support. Eventually it's going to crash again, but um, that's what they're kind of banking on right now. And, uh, you know, that's something to keep in mind with the smart city push. It's like, how much can we make profits through these companies? And maybe the smart city is partly uh, trying to find outlets for those you know for well avenues for those profits to come in through you know like we have all this technology we have to dump it somewhere and uh you know rather than doing socialist construction this is the best that the capitalist system can come up with and other similar you know half harebrained schemes uh will be the kind of thing it comes up with till the end of its lifespan again you can uh gain class consciousness study marxism leninism help um shorten its lifespan but this is what it's going to be like to the end of the system. And reminder, it does not end on its own. No matter how weak it gets, it has to be ended. Is it just me, or is democracy now significantly better now than in like 2019, 2020? Well, Trump's out of office, so they can be a little more critical of the Democrats, I think they think. I mean, of course, they could be critical of them the whole time, but I don't watch them that much for me to really track it. I mean, they've always been pretty good on um, Israel-Palestine, from what I've seen. Again, much m- more so than any other, you know, comparable like fairly mainstream outlet. Um, I don't, I, but I haven't been watching enough to really compare now versus a few years ago. Although, if there is an improvement, I think it's probably because they bought into a lot of liberal bullshit about like Trump hysteria. Not that Trump was good or Trump wasn't bad. Trump definitely was bad. But, uh, you know, the, the extent to which it was reduced to a Trump problem, I think they were buying into that kind of, uh, you know, cable news hysteria a little too much. Because, again, a lot of their audience goes for it because the U.S. left has not really taken that difficult, emotionally painful step of separating out from the Democratic Party. Although I think more and more people have been. So, you know... We liberate everything, including um, outlets like Democracy Now, from that sort of tailing the Democratic Party. The more we are clear about our stance that we want nothing to do with the Democratic Party, they're also part of our overall enemy. They help maintain the system as much as the Republicans do. And they combat the left, you know, as well. PSL and Answer, Act Now to Stop War and and Racism Indiana, Organized the protest on Sunday against the bombing of Gaza. Yeah, I mean, this is really a no-brainer. Like I said, you know, answers on the right side. Democracy now is on the right side. I think it was literally Paul It was like the only one that had this kind of weird take. Again, Palestine, very long-standing established question that uh, there should not be a lot of, you know, efforts to reinvent the wheel there. There's already a correct analysis. And I think, you know, there's a lot of rallies and, Um, even Chris Hedges, I think was, you know, from the statement I saw Chris Hedges engages in a lot of movement for a people's party kind of bullshit left, right unity, populism stuff that we wholeheartedly reject from what I saw. He was completely, you know, the statements I saw he made on Palestine and Israel were completely correct. And so, you know, I mean, if Chris Hedges can get it right, I think anybody can on the broader left, you know? Biden saying Palestinians are lying about the death toll is infuriating. Biden is foul. That was the next comment. Biden, to me, gives big George W. Bush type vibes. This is a very grim time. Biden's uh, um, not as flagrantly offensive as Trump, but I mean, substantially, there's been more continuity than change. According to an Israeli newspaper, Israelis want to displace every single Ga- Palestinian from Gaza. That seems to be the end game for me. Again, there were interviews on Democracy Now! even talking about that. Um, they're using genocidal language and basically saying to everyone in northern Gaza, half the population. There's also, you know, the largest hospital in Gaza is in northern Gaza. They're, they want everybody to get out. And I don't see for what other purpose other than, like, just taking it over. So yeah, going back to the gentrification thing, Indianapolis is so overwhelmed by gentrification. They are definitely overdeveloping. It's crazy navigating the city, the real estate bubble. When it pops, it will be a loud sound. Yeah, because remember, it's not even just the real estate, like a lot of um, medium-sized banks, they're in commercial real estate. When that goes, that's going to be, you'll see a lot of medium-sized banks collapsing. Um, and be beyond the point of saving, like SVB and Signature and mortgage backed securities. Remember, like they don't, they never stopped um, selling mortgages and bundling mortgages and betting on the behavior of these things. So, yeah, when that comes down, it will be allowed. To, you know, developing wouldn't be so bad if it was done with people in mind. You know, I mean, what, what other purpose to civilization is there? If not to actually provide for people's needs, you know, we have all this technology, we have um, all these resources at our disposal, and they're just going to into the pockets of like one percent of the population mainly. So you could make housing that was, you know, just guaranteed to people as a right. In fact, it uh, one of the few things I think AOC has actually done that was substantially good, and this was a few years ago. Was uh, AOC was involved in a push to repeal the piece of legislation passed in the late 90s in the US, which forbid the construction of any additional public housing. So that's part of how we ended up with 2008. It's part of how we ended up with the current housing crisis and the homelessness crisis is in the late 90s. And I forget the name of the amendment or whatever it was, but the US government saw fit at the federal level to prohibit the construction of new public housing. So when you have public housing, just like when you have rent control or whatever, it acts as a check on prices. You know, um, you see a lot of the financial channels talking about interest rates acting like gravity. When interest rates are low, prices just rise like a helium balloon. There's nothing holding them down. But when interest rates go up, it's like adding, you know, tying a rock onto the end of the string of the balloon. It helps keep them, if not back on the ground, at least somewhere in midair. But it just they don't just keep rising indefinitely so that's one way that you can constrain prices but another one is by having public housing um, which you know if priced at low prices competitively um, helps to bring down prices overall and again rent control if the rents in a place are pretty low then there's an incentive for people to rent rather than buy and if you want to sell a house then you have to sell your house for less because you're competing with the rent control constrained rental prices So, yeah, I mean, with, um, you know, very few of these things in place, and that was basically not in place all through the 20-teens. You had low interest rates, no rent control, and, um, you know, no public housing being built. What's to keep prices from just going through, you know, just sky's the limit at that point? And, um, you know, you've got to take steps to fix that. People have to forcibly fight. For their class interests and for most people that is lower housing prices so anyway they at least undid the amendment which prohibited new public housing from being built to my understanding though there still hasn't been a push to actually capitalize on that and you know take advantage of the opening to actually build that public housing but i mean there's all kinds of things that could be done there could be subsidies for cooperative housing like there could be all kinds of things That would make housing a lot more affordable, even under this system for the short term. And uh, most of them are just not really in place. Again, it's why I encourage people to um, get involved with your local left, because there may be efforts that you don't know about currently to do one or more of these things. Or there might be people theorizing about it, but they need more people to get involved so that they can run an effective campaign. Get out there, find out what's going on and there are things that can be done about the housing crisis which is foundational i mean you know inflation is going up and housing is a significant chunk of the um inflation gauge so anyway so another comment from the person who gave me the whisper promoting TikTok, and as i said i will think about it my theory is that israel is going to try and annex gaza and the west bank i mean clearly i think they're going for gaza first I did see something, I didn't see details, but there was, like, more Israeli um, settlers in the West Bank were, like, packing weapons and stuff. So I think things are going to get bad in the West Bank soon as well. So, you know, so there's somebody saying, isn't it a theory? It's always, oh yeah, it isn't a theory. It's always been their plan. They've been open about it. They said they want to take over all of it again and again. Yeah, just look at the map of Israeli territory versus Palestinian territory over time. Just put, you know, do a search. Israel, Palestine map change time. And you can see like Israel has been continuously expanding and they always blame it on um, the Palestinians and the neighboring Arab countries. Bro, you're the one taking that land. You know what I mean? Uh, That's clearly the goal. Well, wow, is this a joke comment? I love so much the American capitalist, and I think that the communist must be a variant of capitalism. No, for the economic system are in perfect state. So, as we were discussing, rents are literally at an all-time high, housing prices at an all-time high, and uh, life is becoming increasingly unaffordable. The system's on life support, and it's about to crash. Again, in the same way that two thousand eight did, I I don't, I don't know where you're coming from. Go back to playing video games, I guess, because the adults are talking, but people are talking about TikTok accounts they like. I've never heard of Wrathbone. I just, I don't really use TikTok, uh, so it would be new to me. But then again, when I started the YouTube channel here, carved out a little place, uh, I didn't really know what was going on in communist YouTube either. So it's definitely not a prerequisite. Just do something valuable and stick to it and listen to the feedback and you can build the channel that actually meets people's needs. Yeah, so talking about, uh, so here's the comment. I don't see how the Israel-Palestine situation gets solved peacefully if either side asks for the others to be completely removed. Okay, what claim does Israel have to that land in the first place? That's the question you need to answer. I would say none, really. Um... And it's not a matter of completely removed. You don't have to have all the people removed. The question is, what are you doing with the state? What are you doing with the government? All right, because right now there are two systems. There's the Israeli state and there's the state of Palestine. But the state of Palestine is only recognized by 138 countries out of the 193 UN participants. So state of Palestine is not even recognized by everyone, um, including countries that are calling for a two-state solution. Um, Sometimes the criteria for recognizing the state of Palestine is that uh, Palestine make major concessions to Israel that it doesn't want to make because Israel is a settler colonial project that has no right to that territory. It was basically just granted to them by the United Nations as an extension of British imperialism. So no, the people in Palestine, whose home that is, that's their land, they don't want a state that was set up by the British and the UN to just be there and for them to just have to suck it up. Do you understand that? That's what we mean by this is an anti-colonial struggle. They have no right to have that colony there. And there were Jewish people living in that area. You know, that geographical region, if you're into religion, which as Marxist-Leninist, you know, <laughs> we're not. But I mean, if you're into religion at all that uh you know basically uh before comic books there was uh, the bible but that region is geographically significant to a number of religions and so there were jewish people who would either go there as pilgrims or as just um you know peaceful uh settlers not in the sense of taking it over but they would just go there and live as sort of religious pilgrims and and they wanted to just be in what they considered um this like holy place okay so that's one thing and it was run pretty peacefully for a long time. Then after 1917, Balfour Declaration by the British government starts inviting more and more Jews to go there, start buying up more and more land. Then you get a material conflict and it's basically a British, you know, colonial possession at that point. And um there starts being more and more conflict. Also, then you start getting these militant Zionist organizations that are committing terrorism against the Palestinians, again, all under the purview of the British, who actually had the government at that point. So since the British pulled out and the UN has proposed the two states for two peoples thing, the Palestinians are like, no, this is our land. We get to make the state. And they don't want to... I mean, this did not start out, at least. Like I don't know what Hamas is saying currently. This did not start out as that they wanted to drive all the Jews out. It's just that there wasn't... They didn't want to recognize the right of colonial, European-backed, racist forces to just set up a government there and have them say, yes, sir, thank you very much, sir. You know, they they didn't want to do that. So you could have one state, which it looks like right now the plan is for Israel to be the one state. Israel does not realistically... You know, for all the people calling for a two-state solution... What are you doing to Israel to um, make that happen? I- Israel and its backers are the ones that are undermining an actual two-state solution at every point. Israel is an expansionist, aggressively expansionist power, and they've proven they won't coexist peacefully. They take over more and more land, and that's what's actually happened. As you would expect from a colonial project like this, you know, that is trying to settle in and, and take over that region. So... Um, you know, and then all the neighboring Arab countries, what do you think their relationship with Israel is going to be like? Israel is going to start shit with them, too. So you know they don't want to see Israel complete its territorial annexation because they know that they're next. What, the, you know How much aggression has there been from between you know, the U.S.'s Iraq wars and support from NATO countries like the U.K.? For those, what do you think the rest of these countries are looking at the situation thinking as far as their sovereignty goes? So I mean that's just kind of common sense and it's you, you ask people you insult people's intelligence to look at it you know from some special set of circumstances just because it's the Middle East. So what do like normal rights of national interest not apply suddenly because it's the quote holy land? That's ridiculous. So you could have a one state solution that is equal um you could have something more like that. It doesn't mean that um Israelis uh or you know that that Jewish people have to leave, but again, the longer this conflict goes and the more escalated it gets, the more propagandized the Israeli population gets. They're going to fight to the death. You hear these people. You, you think they're they're taught to think God, whatever that is, is on their side, this like cosmic power that just enables them to be right, no matter how many children they put under total siege. They're starving over one million children and depriving them of water right now while bombing hospitals and churches. That's Israel. And they think, God, this uh, infallible cosmic power is on their side. How do you reason with people like that? I don't know that you can. So, yeah, they probably just want to take over that whole territory. And so this whole thing of the removal of Israelis, but to where? If this had been solved, like, decades ago, before it became the kind of problem that it was inflamed by, uh, the UK and by the United Nations, you might've had more of a peaceful transition out of a colonial situation where there was a state of Palestine set up run by the people there, but the state of Israel got a foothold first. And that's obviously the preference of, um, you know, the, the colonial and and imperial former colonial and currently imperialist powers that are backing Israel. And, um, they're, Standing with Israel as Israel uses genocidal language, so this whole th- hand wringing about where did the Israelis go? Well, I mean there are Palestinian citizens of Israel. Um, the problem is that Israel is a Jewish supremacist state. There aren't equal rights, you know. If it, you know, and there's always this propaganda about Israel is like the only democracy in the Middle East. It's anything but. They've had the same fucking prime minister. I mean, with some breaks, but I mean since the '90s. It's a joke. Also, as far as the democracy, um, what were those protests going on then for the judicial reform protests going on since January? This, by the way, is very conveniently um, having the uh, the actions of the Israeli government against Gaza are providing a nice distraction from those protests, which had been going on for over six months prior to this, like nine months, basically. Um, it's a good way to break up the protests is just scare people into, we must all come together despite our differences under a right wing monster like the Netanyahu and his government. So this whole shit, I mean, you're just, you don't know what you're talking about if you're like, but where do the Israelis go? You don't know what you're talking about anyway. And as the comment says, there's nothing to quote, solve the Israel. Oh, there's nothing to solve period. The Israeli state is illegitimate and committing a genocide. Yeah, period. That needs to stop now. And the problem is Israel's statements over time have just been laden with that intent. um, and, And they're acting on it now. They're acting on it right before your eyes. Okay, so this fucking idiot in the comments, there is, quote, both. So there is a problem. Both populations want the same territory. Yeah, here's the deal. Which one's legitimate? Okay, which one's legitimate? People who actually had been living there uninterrupted for hundreds of years or people who in the last like 70 years had the UN and Big Daddy British Empire come in and wave the uh, magic wand and create a state for them. And then they started migrating there from all over the world. Which one's legitimate? So if you don't recognize the right of Palestinians to actually make decisions for what goes on in their own territory, then congrats, you're on the side of colonists, you're on the side of imperialism, that you're just (laughs) sitting here overlooking a genocide and um, talking about, you know, trying to both sides this. Wrong. They do not both have legitimate claims to the territory. That's what you're missing. All right. Been listening to your audio books on Spotify while working. It's been very educational. Good. One state majority rule in Palestine, multinational, ethnic, hopefully workers, democratic governance. You know, and that was another thing we we're talking about in the uh, mailbag video was, you know, you need national liberation if you ever want to have a social revolution, because it's part of the bourgeois tasks to set up a bourgeois nation state and then once that is done it's the job of the proletariat to carry out social revolution but if you don't set up the nation state that's not possible so what we have seen in places like china or vietnam etc as part of national liberation movements there are socialist large socialist contingents within the national liberation coalition so that when the national liberation is successful you know, it's they can hopefully guide it directly towards, uh, more or less directly towards social revolution. Um, But yeah, trying to like somehow carve out Palestine out of, you know, the many examples of national liberation struggles of the 20th century is just wrong, is what it is. Another comment, the problem is that capital created a state to support their interests in the Middle East, Israel, and then shipped in European and American settlers to occupy it, who, again, by the way, Jewish people, they didn't want in Europe and the U.S. I mean, um, you know, Jewish people in the U.S. to some extent are able to better pass as sort of part of the white dominant culture now. But, um, you know, like some of the more, many of the more flagrant anti-Jewish prejudices are no longer allowed, even among sort of the, upper class, like there would be, um, you know, country clubs that wouldn't allow Jews in and things like that, even up through like the 70s and, and on. Uh, But then, you know, as far as the experience of um, working class Jewish people, which is the majority, um, there's been, you know, various anti-Jewish prejudice, there was, of course, the KKK and lynchings. So I mean, there's a long history of very pronounced anti-Jewish prejudice and flat out persecution in the U.S. and basically pogroms I mean you look at things like the KKK would do Um, that has been suppressed to a certain extent and there's been some more assimilation of uh, Jewish people into the U.S. at this point but um, you know the prejudice still lingers in certain places more than others Uh, you know there's some places where having a Jewish population there is like just more of a regular thing that people don't think about and then There are other areas of the U.S. where if you're Jewish, you'll stick out like a sore thumb and people really will be horrible to you. So, I mean, that does persist. So you think that a country like that is really going to be, you know, some friend of the Jewish people. It's insane. No, they sent them out there to go help conquer the Middle East for them, you know. So it's like win-win. No matter who wins, if the Israelis win, then great. There's an outpost of U.K.-U.S. imperialism. If they lose... Great. Fewer Jewish people. That's how they think when, you know, you're a racist colonial imperial power. So, you know, just try being logically consistent and things start um, lining up pretty easily. All right. An immediate return of the land to the people that were living there is the bare minimum. Yeah, that would be the actual decolonial thing. Uh, If they decide to then remove their oppressors, that is up to them. And that isn't our call. We support self-determination. For all people here. The reality is, that's not what most decolonial efforts entail. Um, There probably would be a place for um, non hostile, non belligerent Israelis. The problem I think now is of Israel's own doing and I think that they deliberately made it this way. They've created an Israeli population that largely is so hateful towards Palestinians and Arabs generally that they would never be able to coexist you'd have to like completely uh re-educate these people in an anti-racist way to stop being jewish supremacists to stop being anti-arab racist and because they're so fucking racist that um you know trying to integrate now they just have to keep pushing forward with the violence because their population demands it at this point and how do you even make a lot of the Israelis integrate? They literally believe God wants them to, like, kill all the Palestinians. I'm very curious to see if Paul Sturm responds to my criticism or if they will be self-critical. Self-criticism is very important to understand how Marxist an organization is. Yeah, we're trying to do social science here. If you're wrong and other people are pointing it out. Just like in chemistry, just like in biology, you have to relent, otherwise it's not serious. I did reach out to them um, through social media messages. Before I published it, I said, hey, by the way, heads up, I'm going to be publishing a video that was critical of this article. And I just wanted to let you know that that is coming. Uh, It's not just me. It's like most of my audience was like, what the hell is this article? And uh, they said, "Okay, thanks for letting us know, by the way, if you had any questions you could ask. And I said, it's not really a not really a matter of questions. Like, I thought the article was very clear. My only question is like, I think you're like, why? (laughs) Because I I think that the uh, reasoning and evidence presented was not good. It didn't line up. So. Yeah. So talking about in in a single state of like Palestine, if if all the Israelis stayed you know, wouldn't the Israelis be able to outvote the Palestinians? Keep in mind, though, also, there's a large diaspora. There's a lot of Palestinians who live outside of Palestine right now because of, you know, conditions and they haven't been allowed to return. So keep in mind, like if it did open up as, um, you know, a locally run and managed um, territory, you know, you would have a lot more People coming in that would not be israeli and again the israelis are a supremacist extremely hateful population by and large there are some more kind of socially liberal and tolerant israelis but like it's pretty fucking fascist honestly all right i lost part of the chat there but uh, moving down to the what part i do see Libertarianism in practice resulted in slavery in the Congo and Somalia. Yeah, but see, libertarians can't think that far ahead. They're oblivious socially. Um, They don't think social science is a real thing, and they just want to think about short-term profits only. And uh, I think they they lack the kind of critical thought required um, to think about something as complex as social structure. Especially like historical development of society over time, you know what we call um, historical materialism. That is like the essence of Marxism. That's something that goes right over their heads. I've talked to very quote smart people, you know, in STEM and things like that. People I know that um, could not fight their way out of a wet paper bag when it comes to understanding society. They can tell you all about, you know, microbiology or whatever, but uh, just never took the time. I don't know if it's, you know, partly out of personal social shortcomings or some chip that they have on their shoulder against, you know, maybe they were, um, didn't have a lot of friends in school or something. Like, I don't know what, you know, they sort of uh, are pissed off at society, but not understanding society isn't going to get you very far. You're going to remain immature and really stunted and unscientific in your understanding of society and history. So what you're saying, goober duck, is not true. None of the countries in the USSR wanted to be in the USSR. That's completely wrong. And uh, so you can look up on Sputnik. Let me look it up. There was a referendum near the end of the USSR of what people wanted to do. 76% did want to stay in the USSR. There were a few countries that did vote against it. This was like the late 80s, early 90s period where they were introducing uh, reforms. So this was, okay, 91. So it was March 17, 1991. And is this the link I'm thinking of? I'll put it in the chat. Yeah. The address is Sputnik, S-P-U-I, sorry, S-P-U-T- N I K Globe G L O B E dot com and then it's slash 2011 O three one three slash one six two nine five yeah one six two nine five nine six four five dot HTML. I'll just put a link, it'll be easier. So um but this is the referendum on the preservation of the USSR. And so it says the referendum on preserving the Soviet Union, the only popular vote in the history of the 70 year. uh, Oh, in the 70 year history of the USSR held on March 17, 1991. Most of the countries actually voted overwhelmingly to stay together. Guess what happened? The saboteurs just disregarded it. So that's wrong. Here, I'll, I'll reply specifically to the comment that I was talking about. After the fall of the USSR, child prostitution was rampant, but in a discussion with libertarians, they view that as a positive. So you can't bring it up as negative evidence. Yeah, I mean, um I was watching some other thing the other day. I couldn't get it was like an 18-minute video. I couldn't get past 4 minutes of it talking about how the world is actually like more peaceful today than ever before. So the chart that they used of armed conflicts only went back to 1940. Okay, for one thing. But also a lot of the violence occurring in the world today is not in traditional battlefield form. It will be social murder and things like the, you know, a dramatic decrease of lifespan in the USSR after it was destroyed when the basic economic supports of human life collapsed. Um, And that was directly part of international class struggle and espionage. So that was war you know, that was an extension of the Cold War, and it actually resulted in mass death, but not in your sort of traditional battlefield kind of uh, way. So again, you know, getting people to think beyond the narrow scope of bourgeois thinking is a challenge, but it's one that we have to, you know, keep up with. Are we discussing capitalist financial ideas? I don't even really know what you mean by that. This We're com- completely opposed to capitalism at this point. Capitalism has outlived its historical usefulness. It's completed the tasks it needed to complete. In terms of development, we must move on from capitalism now. By the way, housing and prisons need to be understood as two sides of the same coin. What will empire do with its reserve labor force? the Army of the unemployed prisons and policing is the solution for capitalists. Agreed, that's definitely part of the neoliberal turn. Is, and that's why the um, playlist that we have uh, going on the channel and we will keep adding to is the Homeless Industrial Complex playlist because uh, homelessness and all of the different institutions that serve to manage homelessness, including the police, including shelters where they exist and other things, are part of—they're part and parcel of the neoliberal economic order because uh, the people who run the system and profit from it have to manage the system, have to try to ensure its survival and administrate it. And according to them, not everybody gets housing. You know, if the people who run society and and are currently in charge of society wanted as part of their system to give everyone housing, they would do so. This is, you know, the reality that we see is reflective of the will of the ruling class. So you don't see something. It's because the people who run society don't care or actively don't want it. And housing for all is definitely not part of the proposition. So, But they they have to do something, and so there are different things that they do to manage the homelessness situation. And policing is a big part. There are other things as well. On the topic of fighting for class interest in housing, while handing out flyers for a petition against the rising rents, there were a few landlords that were like, no, I want to raise the rents. I mean, that's what they do. That's what they do. And I'll tell you, they uh, don't win a lot of friends along the way. That is against the interests of the overwhelming majority of the population. Well, I missed uh, Todd in Minnesota's comments, but they must have been bad, whatever they were. Chat is fun today. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed part of it. I was scrolling down to just see what was going on with the troll, and then I lost part of it. Twitch chat. Leave something to be desired. Zionists like to imply the idea that they have a religious claim to Palestine, effectively arguing that Muslims simply sprang into existence at the time of Muhammad, rather than acknowledging the fact that non-Jewish Arabs have inhabited Palestine for just as long, although their ancestors were Jewish and part of pre-Islamic faiths. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even think you have to go back that far. You can just go back a few hundred years, even who was living there before the colonial effort started, period. You know, and again, as we've said before, uh, for all the um, kind of, you know, left liberals in the U.S. or the U.K. or whatever, who want to acknowledge um, Israelis, quote-unquote, historical right to that land, how do you feel about land back for Native Americans in Canada and the U.S.? Because that was like 200 years ago, and not very long ago, that even like pretty much right up to the eastern seaboard there was uh you know significant indigenous uh people here non-european descent people so what do you want to do about that if you think that um you know jews from thousands of years ago have a claim to be doing a genocide in palestine how do you feel about what's going on in canada and the u.s you know and beyond just uh, performative like land acknowledgements What do you actually want to do about it? The attempt to ban the phrase from the river to the sea during protests in some European countries is scary. Yeah, I mean, the UK posted a story about they're trying to ban the use of the flag, the Palestinian flag, even. Welcome to the uh, first timers. I'm seeing some typing in the chat, but welcome to anybody else who's uh, new to the live streams. It is prophesized in the Bible that Zombie Jesus come back when the Jews are all in Jerusalem, so he can send them to hell for being Jewish. But if you're against the genocide of Palestinians, you're being anti-Jewish. Yeah, that's another whole dimension of this. Is like the uh, Christian Zionists that want to support politically the resurrection of Israel because it plays into their end of the world, you know, apocalyptic religious beliefs throwing that out there, that exists. Talking about taking in refugees, there's been tons of Ukrainian refugees here in Europe, which is understandable. Obviously, you want to get out of a war zone. But while these are welcome, anybody from the Middle East has trouble getting in, staying in faces discrimination. Yeah, that is called racism. When me and the comrades are out collecting trash in public, people often say, oh yeah, the Arabs at my apartment complex always drop their trash. Yeah, littering is a purely Arab problem, I guess. But yeah, that is definitely racism it's like and and that kind of petty thing it's just like you know that people saying shit like that just have an irrational hatred of this other population they want to find any single thing that they can nitpick against them it's kind of a hallmark that it's not a you know well substantiated thing otherwise they'd have much better complaints that were actually grounded in reality arabs are people just like europeans Sorry, racists. I know that's a difficult concept. Speaking of Zionism, I recently read a piece called Zionist Logic by Malcolm X that's worth a read. I will check that out. It's crazy how operation how the Operation Paperclip country is the one who is the, quote, closest ally of a Western-created, quote, Jewish state. It's so many layers of anti-Semitism. Yeah, so for people who don't know, Operation Paperclip was the U.S.'s code name for the effort to bring in ex-Nazi scientists and things after World War II into the U.S. And uh, yeah, so it's weird how like the country taking in all these Nazis is also like the biggest supporter of the most pro-Jewish country in the world. Almost like there's some ulterior motive to having Israel as this, uh, you know imperialist country that brutalizes all of the you know that acts so terribly uh thus giving a bad name to anyone associated with it even after world war ii west germany made sure that the nazis didn't get prosecuted and integrated them into the security apparatus like how organization galen turned into the german version of the cia yeah so um best d marks b-e-s d period Marx is another youtube channel we link to on the channels tab they have a great video about that about how denazification in germany west germany didn't really work so the soviets did do serious denazification after the war the west didn't really care because they knew if there were to be proletarian socialist revolutions in western europe or even some kind of weird you know another additional conflict militarily with the soviets like if there was an invasion of eastern of western europe by eastern europe who they needed all all hands on deck to fight it off that included former fascists who were anti-communist above all else so there were things like operation gladio which was a secret network of stay behind fascist terror cells basically that they kept littered throughout western europe italy belgium all over the place and that were coordinated through the OSS and then later CIA and NATO intelligence, in the event of a communist uh, uprising or a communist invasion of Western Europe, they had to keep those fascists around. And yeah, they just kind of got assimilated. So you could say um, Nazi Germany lost the battle, but you know, in a way, won the war. They're all on the same side. You know, there was uh, there were multiple dimensions to what was going on in World War Two. The uh, as far as the Allied powers, the Soviet Union was fighting for its existence as they had fought other capitalist aggression in the past. And so, you know, fascist Germany was just another example of anti-communist violence um, because the capitalists wanted their stuff back, their, quote, stuff back. Um, So the Soviet Union was fighting for its life. Why was the UK and the US, why were they fighting for, uh, why, why were they fighting against the Axis? Not really for their life they were fighting as imperialists for a bigger share of the loot in this imperial, this crisis of imperialism where you had a block of japan italy germany and their allies versus the more established imperialist that is advanced capitalist powers okay well they had a big conflict but the soviet union wasn't entering that fight as an imperialist it was fighting for its existence and for the expansion of socialism, which, uh, anyway, you know, so you had different, um, as soon as the war ended, the U.S. and U.K., which had been on the side of, quote unquote, the USSR, as soon as the rival imperialist bloc of Italy, Japan, and Germany was defeated, they all joined in the Cold War against the Soviet Union, you know, the, quote, ally of the U.S., France, and, uh, and the U.K., Anyway, it's, uh, you know, the the cynicism. Uh, but if, if you understand class struggle and historical development, it, it does get clearer. You know, the other thing I was thinking about uh, recently is how in the U.S. in particular, there is so... If you ask the average person, like, why did World War I start, no one can tell you. If you ask them about World War 2 they'll say, like, the Nazis were, like, satanic and also something, maybe the Holocaust. Like, they don't really know beyond, like fascists are evil that's all they know about world war ii world war one they know nothing about these are inter-imperialist conflicts resulting out of crises of the imperialist system uh, flare-ups between capitalist powers advanced monopoly capitalist powers vying over the right to exploit the rest of the world they're fighting with each other over who's going to be at the head of the table and that's what it's about the trolls were really like, oh, well, how come no one wants to answer the questions I'm asking? And then they just deny whatever you say with no evidence. Yeah, this is sea lining. When you just keep like asking for more and more and more and more evidence on a completely bad faith basis, that's sea lining. Libertarians do it a lot. It seems internationalism died after the USSR. Like, when was the last time aid was sent between any country? Unless it's guns for Israel. Yeah, so we'll read more, like I was saying in the Hoja piece, about his criticisms of even in the 70s, the USSR was still funding things, but he felt that they were funding national liberation movements in a way so as to render them less effective. But uh, we'll, we'll read some of that stuff to consider it, though. But certainly after the 90s, I mean, it disappeared. That's And One of the things we were talking about in that mailbag video was... In the coalition for the national liberation of Palestine, you had secular and left-wing organizations. You also had more right-wing and religious organizations that were all united in, uh, you know, maybe not a desire for social revolution, but in the more short-term desire, the um, prerequisite desire for national liberation. And what happened is, especially after the destruction of the... Well, so first what happened was China under Deng Xiaoping, stopped funding national liberation movements so much because they didn't want to unduly piss off their new would-be trade partners of the U.S. and other imperialists. So they stopped funding national liberation movements so much. And then, you know, like uh, 10 or so years later, the USSR was gone completely. So this left a real vacuum of support for the left wing of coalitions like that. And it opened the door the more islamic fundamentalist right-wing of those national liberation coalitions to uh you know take the lead so like the second uh biggest group fatah is more secular and left-wing and hamas actually pushed them out partially by force in the 2006-2007 reshuffling in gaza so you know there's some pretty dirty politics even on the inside of the coalition And part of the reason for the decline of the secular left wing is um, not just because Israel helped fund Hamas, which they helped Hamas get set up in the first place, but um, also because the lack of support for secular left wing movements. Do you have any good resources on helping people break away from rigid gender roles? This is in regard to what we were talking about last week. I, I don't know what you I don't know what the person you're talking about really needs to hear. I don't know where they're starting from. I don't know if people listening to this either in this chat or on YouTube have good resources on quote, helping people break away from rigid gender roles. If you could provide more information, I think that would be helpful because I just I don't really know from that what is needed. So one of the trolls was calling people cultist because they were told to study. Just like if you showed up to a chemistry class and started like shouting out random stuff, people would say, did you even read the book? And then they're accusing people of being in a cult. No, this is science. And if you haven't caught up with the readings, you're not going to know what we're talking about. And it is projection. You know, People confuse it with religion because, well, it's projection. They don't understand science. They don't understand consensus and building upon the scientific advancements that have already come before and this is partly a failure of the education system. Then the Nazi Otto Skorzeny worked for the Israeli state. I've not I don't know that particular name. Yeah, the USSR did take Nazi scientists too. However, they also had a much more rigorous denazification process. It's not even close. Like they're not comparable. Um, animal exploitation under capitalism is horrific. I've been vegetarian for a very long time and yeah, uh, I think uh, a lot of people deliberately keep themselves in the dark, go watch, uh, actual videos of, uh, I mean, there's a very graphic one called earthlings. Um, watch what goes on in the animal industry and, you know, tell me if you can still support it. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, I've been vegetarian for a very long time, and uh, I think people should pay more attention to the exploitation of animals. Um, people have used animals for a very long time throughout human history. That's partly out of sheer necessity, which no longer largely exists. Uh, well, I mean, as development increases, there's still places in the world where reliance on animals for work and things like that like, still does exist. But as development advances, that decreases more and more. Also, the need of animals for food decreases more and more people are like, Oh, that's just because of, um, you know, uh, industrial agriculture. Yeah. But I mean, we have that and it works and yeah. So you could, uh, you can live on an all plant diet very easily actually now. And we have the, um, technology to support that. So there's not really the same need to rely on animals either for work or for food that we used to do. And I think people should pay more attention to that uh, because there are really horrific things that go on in industrial animal agriculture, which are beyond inhumane. And it's also not remotely comparable to conditions that people had a goat or they had some chickens or whatever in the past. Like, it's not the same. They're not kept in the same conditions at all. They pack the pigs and the cows in so tight, like they can't move in the pens. The pigs chew each other's tails off. Um, It's a horrifically brutal stuff. Um, There's so much disease. They cut holes in the sides of the cows. Um, There's so much disease, they have to keep pumping them full of more and more antibiotics because they're keeping them in such unsanitary conditions. Anyway, yeah, like it's not really like it used to be a few thousand years ago where somebody would have like a flock of sheep or something like that. And, you know, they needed the wool for clothing. And we just live in completely different conditions now. Franz Ferdinand was assassinated by, quote, Serbian nationalists, which kicked off World War I. Yeah, that was what technically, you know, maybe lit the fuse. Why was there this entire underlying conflict? You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. It, that actually doesn't explain anything. It, that didn't just, um, Franz Ferdinand being assassinated did not in itself cause a world war. All right. It was a large array of material interests and contradictions which have been building up. To a crisis level, to the point where an assassination could, you know, set fire to the whole thing. So it's just like you know, the murder of George Floyd did not cause by itself massive nationwide protests. It was a convergence of lots of things that lit the fuse. But why was all the kindling lying around in the first place? That's what I'm saying. You ask the average person why World War One they don't understand any any of the underlying inter-imperialist contradictions that were building up to that clash or what the powers were really hoping to get out of it. Okay, so somebody's putting a link. There is, answer is, uh, we discussed before, Act Now to Stop War and End Racism. Transportation centers to the national march on Washington for Palestine. So there is going to be a national march on Washington, D.C., Saturday, November 4, 2 p.m., Freedom Plaza. Now is the time to stand with the besieged people of Palestine. Israel, with the full backing of the U.S. government, is carrying out an unprecedented massacre in Gaza. Thousands of Palestinians are being killed with bombs, bullets, and missiles, paid for by U.S. tax dollars. So I'll give you this. This is much better than their bizarre stance that they were trying to take, kind of pro-Russia stance with the Ukraine war. Um, Again, it's just a much more clear-cut question. So yeah, there's going to be a national march on Washington, D.C., Saturday, November 4, 2 p.m., Freedom Plaza. And y'all put that in the uh, community posts as well. Our history on Reddit is a bourgeois thought nightmare. No class analysis. Maybe it's time to change that. I'm not a big Redditor, so I may not be in there that much. But Most Reddit pages are so bad. All the New Zealand ones are right-wing conservative hellholes. I mean, that's a lot of the, a lot of unchecked comment sections on the internet in general are right-wing conservative hellholes. I mean, and people, you know, talk about Reddit moments or whatever. I've, I've just historically not been a Reddit user. I post some of the S4A stuff up there now for promotion, but I'm not like, you know, I've organically commented on Facebook. I've organically commented on Twitter. I've just never really been like a Reddit user, so I just don't know it as well. Yeah, lol, chemistry class? Sounds like witchcraft, all these potions. Alchemy, alchemy. I swear the tactics trolls use are out of the CIA playbook on disrupting organizations. They rather us fight over and endlessly debate the same old Red Scare talking points than uh, than to move on and build on the conversations. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, cooking with S4A is still in the works. I've just been trying to keep putting one step ahead of the other on what we're already doing. Now there's the TikTok thing. I am still, I think about it from time to time. I'm still trying to decide whether to do a separate channel or or how to do it. But yeah, I haven't forgotten. I've also just had kind of a rough year myself. I feel like uh, after the end of the COVID emergency, um, I don't know, it's just gotten harder for me to just cope with stuff uh i don't know it's just it's just been a rough year i feel like i'm not at the same mental capacity that i was even back in the spring so i don't know i'm trying to get my mojo back i'm not really sure what it is to be honest but i haven't been feeling like launching a new channel let let me put it this way or even starting a major new project on the channel i can kind of barely keep up with what i have been doing so it's been a rough year and again the first half of the year not so bad um in a way, I feel like I'm finding a new flow now, but not without, I don't know, I'm not really sure what's going on, but it's, it's been a rough these past few months. So this kind of history stuff is what you get when you have an education system that doesn't teach dialectical thinking. Everything in history is analyzed in an isolated metaphysical manner, as if these are things in themselves, like just totally isolated events that just popped into history, not as part of other existing processes yeah you have to understand like what marxism is about overall if you want to summarize is understanding history holistically this is what we mean by dialectics it's understanding things not as isolated events but as processes dynamic processes that are not isolated you know static phenomena so you want to understand one piece of it you have to understand more of the whole thing and particularly the material interest's driving class behavior. The reason PSL is weird on Russia, I mean, it's go beyond weird to just revisionist, is probably tied to their spooky connection with Radio Sputnik, Russia Today, and the like, media things. There was an interesting Daily Beast article about it. If you'd like to read it, sure, send the link. I mean, I was like pretty much aware of that already, but yeah, I I, I agree as far as what I know. If there's more details, I'd be interested in seeing them. Yeah, I got COVID back in mid-August due to a lack of testing at the nursing home I worked at. Nursing homes, of course, being one of the major um, sources of of COVID outbreaks beyond the schools. Schools are a major Sources of spread, but uh, nursing homes, major source of outbreaks. I wore a mask, of course, but still I'm rather bitter about it. Yeah, I got long COVID for a year um, just from getting infected in a store where I got kind of like, it was like a flash mob. Like, I thought I was doing okay, went into this one store, this was December 2020, and there was just suddenly all these people in there. I'm pretty sure that's where I got it. I got long COVID. It didn't clear up till like the following November. That was when I started feeling normal again, or more normal again. Supposedly, we are right now at the lowest COVID level for the entire rest of the year, week 16 of our seventh surge. So you mean, it's not that we're at the lowest level of the year, because we had a lower uh, level back in the spring and summer. But between now and December, this is as good as it's going to get. That's my understanding of your comment. I wish people would stop bitching about wearing a mask. Like, dude, you only need to wear it when you go out. Quit crying about your discomfort. I used to wipe butts and bathe the elderly. Quit your yapping, you baby, morons. I feel your pain. Like, honestly, you you have the correct outlook. Um, But this is the fragile kind of uh, completely self-centered mindset. You know, we're talking about the mindset created in the Israeli population where they just clamor for genocide. It's basically what's been created in the U.S. as well. These completely fragile self-interested fucking petty bourgeois assholes just think the world revolves around them that's like most of the u.s population now we're going to change that and give people proletarian class consciousness instead but just acknowledging that's like very real and i feel like especially back you go back to like the older gen x and boomer generations the conditions they came up in just drilled that into their heads like so so much It still boggles the mind that the same people who won't wear masks, self-diagnosed, self-medicated with horse dewormer. It's hard to forget that brain rot take. Well, yeah, it's like the same people are like, uh, COVID is a bioweapon released by the Chinese. Oh, okay, so you're going to wear a mask against it, right? No. Okay, I see see an inconsistency. It's almost like you're just making things up that make you feel good in the moment, but have no long-term logical consistency. Oh yeah, somebody yeah, I I've I've also heard the smoking cigarettes to kill covid real life take. Now forgetting the fact that cigarette smoke is full of particulates and inflammatory compounds that will you know make you more prone to respiratory illnesses and just physically damage your lungs and you know in addition to being carcinogenic and all that other stuff. But yeah, people are like it'll the cigarette smoke will kill the virus. Man You managed to work in, like, vaccine denial, pandemic denial, and pro-smoking messaging? Like, you win the Libertarian, like, trifecta award. Um, That was like, it's like, uh, if this was, like, Scrabble, that'd be like the triple word score. (laughs) Honestly, bonus points. Wow. Wearing masks at work is such a conversation starter for me. Even without COVID, there's good reasons to wear one. Absolutely. I, I wear one in most scenarios now. Um, you know, including even going out for like, uh, some kinds of exercise because I mean, exercise induced asthma is a thing by the way, especially, you know, in areas that have more pollution, more particulate matter, busy roads have all kinds of like tire dust and brake dust floating around as well as the exhaust. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, just also other allergens in the environment. You don't necessarily need to be breathing in. Whether or not you have particularly strong allergies, yeah, you don't need to be breathing in all the particulate matter out there, uh, but especially, you know, uh, in our modern environment with all the industrial products that also create synthetic particulate matter that, you know, our body really isn't used to coping with. Huh, talking about somebody who's apparently had COVID three times, was recently diagnosed with Lyme disease. I suspect he just had long COVID. I mean, it could be both. There's no reason why he couldn't also have Lyme disease, but yeah, long COVID has a lot of those same kinds of chronic fatigue, like random pain, you know, there's, um, anyway, yeah, long COVID has many, many symptoms, because why? The virus infects and damages many, many kinds of tissue in your body, your brain, heart, lungs, liver, anything really with ACE2 receptors, which is basically all of your major organs, it can also infect and kill T-cells, like HIV does, not exactly the same way or to the same extent, but that's the only other virus really that attacks and just murders T cells. There are some viruses that can cause cancer in T cells, but as far as just killing them, you got HIV and COVID. COVID not to the same extent, but it does do that. So, you know, seriously um, causes immune harm and may leave you more uh, prone to cancer because T cells help the body to keep uh, any emerging cancers under control. Well, if your T-cells are depleted, exhausted, whatever, they're not going to be able to do that as well. Will some cancers um, then survive your body's immune system? It's probably more likely. So there's studies on that as well. Tires are the number one source of microplastics in the environment. Wow. Makes sense. I mean, Yeah, you got to remember, microplastics, they're in the food, they're in the water, but they are also in the air. You can breathe microplastics. Yet another reason, you know, COVID, um, I made Corsi-Rosenthal box air filters because of uh, COVID. And let me tell you, after running the Corsi-Rosenthal box filters for even a few months, that shit was white. (laughs) The, The filters were white. And like four or five months later, they were gray, like really significantly gray. I think you can vacuum them out for some of the larger particulate matter. Um, just, like, you know, get a vacuum, like, extension and kind of like a hose and kind of just suck some of that off the filter to renew it. But, um, holy shit, there was a lot of other particulate matter in the air in my residence. So, yeah. Yeah, it's more culturally accepted in Japan and more widespread for people to wear masks. It definitely helps a lot for other diseases, not just COVID. Yeah, there's a lot of airborne you know, diseases. So yeah, absolutely. Apparently the number of Japanese people masking has also dropped drastically recently. Yeah, there's this huge push to um, just eradicate any trace that there ever was a pandemic while it's still going on. Sadly, indeed. I work around a lot of dust, metal, etc. I pointed that out to my Christian Trump support supporting coworker, he responded, what, you trying to live forever? Hey, I'd like to not die at, like, 55 suffering immensely with emphysema. You know, you watch these um, every time, basically, I see guys doing road work. And they're, like, cutting the concrete, and there's huge amounts of concrete dust flying up. And nobody's got a mask on at all. No respirators anywhere. So what do you think? Your lungs are just built for inhaling like stone dust? They're really not. You're trying to live forever, honestly. It's following that logic. The whole struggle here is not living forever. Obviously, it's not realistic, but having good quality of life for as many years as possible. You know, it's through advancements in diet, refrigeration, medicine, other kinds of general public health measures that we have extended the lifespan And in more comfort, too. Now you can live to 80 in more comfort than you might have lived to, you know, 60 uh, a couple of centuries ago. So, yeah, who doesn't want more time in life? And if you really don't care about your life like that, I mean, God, who fucked up raising you, honestly? I thought long COVID was just an umbrella name for a host of chronic diseases of which different ones show up in different individuals, even while all being classifiable as long COVID. I mean, kind of? Like, so long COVID is caused by complications of a COVID infection. You have the acute phase of COVID, which generally lasts like three weeks at the most. Then there is long COVID, which there's different definitions of it, but it's usually when you have symptoms two, three months out, you know, it's definitely distinct, in other words, from uh, the acute phase of that first two or three weeks. But uh, COVID can disrupt the body in so many different ways. It can cause autoimmunity. It can disrupt the gut microbiome to the point that it starts having cascade effects into other systems of the body. It can be the result of direct organ damage, like pancreatic damage can cause diabetes in people that was just directly caused by the virus infecting the pancreas and causing damage to its functional parts and so on it uh, also infects and damages the brain which leads to a very common symptom of long covid which is executive dysfunction basically cognitive loss memory loss inability to think and make plans as easily sleep disturbances there's all kinds of things so covid long covid tends to have <clears throat> some of the main symptoms like some of the symptoms are more common some of them are more rare But it's all caused by SARS-2. So like the, quote, brain fog or cognitive impairment, brain damage is one of the most common. Muscle pains, muscle and nerve pains that people didn't have before is another very common one. Uh, And shortness of breath, lung damage is another major um, long COVID symptom. But there's many other digestive problems are another major long COVID symptom. Uh, There's all kinds of stuff. Seizures. Yeah, so long COVID manifests differently in different people, depending on how SARS-2 affected your system. But there's also commonalities to the way that long COVID manifests. It's not their right to make me die from preventable diseases at age 45. Absolutely. What else do you have if not your lifespan? I mean, honest, in the end, you have your health and, you know, how many years you live. That's your basic, without that, you... (laughs) You don't have a life. You don't exist. You know, that—that that is the basics of your existence, your lifespan, your quality of life. It's the fundamental thing we're trying to protect in the end. It's not just microplastics either. I work in the water treatment industry. There's a lot of talk about PFAS. Yeah, in a very early stream, we talked about how there's now PFASs in the rainwater detectable everywhere on earth. And they, I understand like, they cause birth defects and things like that. So now there's forever chemicals, so-called, because um, it's extremely difficult chemically to remove them from the water. Or they don't also break down by normal geological or biological processes on the Earth. So once they're out there in the environment, nothing currently is evolved to break these chemicals down. So they are toxic and they can just keep circulating and causing biological harm. So this is... um, You know we're kind of drowning in our own garbage, and capitalism is not going to solve this problem. It's not going to solve the climate crisis. It's not going to solve the pandemic. If it could solve these problems, it would solve them. It can't. That's you know it can't solve these problems because it hasn't. It would be in its interest to solve those problems. It can't do it. So apparently, the Intercept dot com has a good series on PFAS chemicals. Yeah, the bombing of Gaza can also be understood as an ecological disaster. Even the survivors can have chronic lung disease and cancers from all of the things, just uh, dust. Because remember, what's a building made of? Is it just purely non-toxic chemicals? No. There's all kinds of heavy metals and things that are being pulverized, turned into powder, and released in the air. So even if you don't get hit by the bomb or a piece of wreckage doesn't fall on you, you're still breathing in all kinds of toxic compounds. I'd love to interview that guy as he's dying of a respiratory disease. I wonder if he'd be, this is the, uh, what are you trying to live forever guy? I wonder if he'd be as blasé. I think he'd just be in full denial because you saw that in COVID in 2020, 2021. There were stories of nurses putting people on ventilators as they're about to die, you know, trying to keep them alive. And they're like, you're dying of COVID. We have to put you on this ventilator because you can't breathe on your own. And the people were saying things to them like I can't be Dying of COVID, COVID isn't real And these are the last words they ever said Before the ventilator went on And you know, a lot of them didn't survive But there, you know, people Insisting that, oh no, I caught pneumonia From wearing a mask It's COVID Yeah, just I don't know, a lot of those people are not around Anymore, some still are I have a feeling that there's a lot of people who did get cut down to size by repeated COVID reinfections who maybe aren't quite as loud about it anymore. You know, I know somebody was like a chain smoker, um, did get COVID, almost died, and they don't deny it anymore. You know, you don't want to see that happen, but it's like people are just, I think, socialized to be so arrogant and just reality is what we decide it is going to be you know reality is what we say it's going to be no it isn't no it isn't and you know it it, you're pretty far gone if you have to get that knocked on your ass to just take care of yourself and like heed reality if you survive you know capitalism doesn't solve problems it only cares about making record profits i mean there are things that capitalism has improved in terms of uh you know, introducing development that has improved lives. Marx and Engels talked about this even in the founding uh, documents of, of Marxism, like principles of communism. The problem is it reaches a point where it cannot progress any further. And we're at that point. And uh, we, if for additional, well, really to just survive into the future as a species, we must end capitalism, we must, simply must. It's taken uh, the improvements of life as far as they can go. And uh, right now it's creating problems and maintaining them just for profit, because that's what it has to do to maintain itself. So we have to make a choice, you know, the system or us. There was still asbestos in the giant door I sat next to when I worked as an archivist at a museum. They couldn't remove it because it was attached to a bearing. Oh, load bearing wall. Yeah. Uh, so in other words, they couldn't, uh, disturb the wall cause the, you know, ceiling might collapse. Um, uh, not just microplastics, even old material that is known to be hazardous is still around. Yeah, asbestos is still in, in some older buildings. That was actually an issue with nine eleven. Um, the world trade center was full of asbestos. So when that building got pulverized, which is again, not really something, a thing that happens, um, just because of, uh. You know, a plane crashed into it. Those buildings were turned into dust. There was dust and neatly cut sections of steel beams. That's what was left after the uh, Twin Towers blew up. Um, But yeah, that was laden with asbestos as well. So that's what was in all of that stuff that was being, you know, blown by the wind all over New York and surrounding areas then as one example. All right, well, we've caught up with the chat today, and I think we're going to leave it there. I was glad we got some COVID discussion in because we haven't really talked about that. I've been taking a break on COVID, and, you know, when I was saying, like, it's been a rough few months, I feel like part of it is because I haven't been as engaged on pandemic stuff and keeping up with the news on that as much. You know, if people have good COVID stories that are really stuff we haven't covered before, I would like to cover it, um, that would be you know, anybody sending stuff in would be, um, helpful and appreciated. Um, I think I reached a point where I couldn't really think about it anymore, but then not thinking about it or engaging with it as directly has also left me, uh, just feeling like in limbo with it. So anyway, we're going to leave it there. Good office hour streams. There were a lot of trolls, but, uh, we'll get that sorted if not in the next stream, uh, pretty soon. All right, that's going to be it for today. Thanks, everybody, for showing up. I'll try to get this posted by Saturday. probably won't be tomorrow. But I appreciate everybody dropping in and helping to make this stream what it is. I mean, I could do this just me talking, but it wouldn't be nearly as rich. So thanks again, and we'll see you in the next video.